Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take, and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take, all one word, in the promo box, and you'll be eligible to win $100, courtesy of My Take Radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. You think your world is safe. It is an illusion. A comforting lie told to protect you. Enjoy these final moments of peace. For I have returned to have my vengeance. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 171, for Thursday, January 31st, 2013. Our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, our call-in number is 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, let's get right into it. We got a lot of ground to cover this week. Uh, first up, last week's episode, of course, we went into practically three and a half hours of OT. Um, it was a great episode, but the problem with these three uh, over three-hour broadcasts, obviously, is that our bro- our BTR audience loses out on that particular aspect of the show. So then they have to get the show via iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio or whatever other provider or wait for me to replace the audio on Blog Talk Radio and that'll allow them to catch the OT. So hopefully this week we're going to keep it within the three-hour time span. We'll see what happens. Obviously, when we're on a groove, it you just can't help but you know not deal with that stuff. But one thing I did forget to tell you guys is that if the show cuts off on the Blog Talk Radio portion, the Mixler portion continues. So you can just go to our Facebook fan page and click the Mixler button, and you can still listen to the live feed that way. Also, you can also listen to the show using our call-in number. Just do not hit option one, and you will not be entered into the caller queue. That way you can listen to your phone uh, through your phone, whether it's via Bluetooth connected to your stereo or just via speakerphone if you have your phone in the kitchen or something like that. A couple of things I wanted to get out of the way. Obviously, some housekeeping first. A lot of great interactions on our Facebook fan page. 
Really appreciate all the support, the comments, and all the great stuff that you guys are adding to the fan page. Obviously, the comments range from funny to crazy to sometimes a little crass, but that's okay. It happens. But I really am grateful to see so many of you guys sharing our content and commenting on our content. Um, It really helps us out. It really gives the site more exposure. And as always, we appreciate it. And, you know, I can't stress it enough. If you are sharing our content, please make sure to use the share button and not copy and paste uh, whatever content we post as your own, only because it allows us to reach a new audience. It really is essential. I mean, the only way we grow is with you guys. Obviously, people are going to come upon the show and catch it that way. But if you guys share our content and share the shows and talk about it, we're going to continue to grow. So again, I appreciate all the fans on Facebook sharing our content and commenting on the stuff. It keeps the page alive. One of the things that I am going to be doing hopefully this weekend is possibly transitioning out of our live fire commenting system and possibly switching to Facebook comments. Originally, MTR ran with the Discuss comment platform, and it was good. It was pretty well received, but I don't know. It just it just didn't feel right. It kind of slowed the site down a little bit, and we started using Live Fire because it allowed uh, a sync between Facebook comments, Twitter comments, and on-site comments. But the... I don't know. I I think some people just don't know how to navigate live fire because you can log in with any of the various accounts. You don't need to set up a live fire account, but obviously that's probably part of the issue. People don't feel comfortable setting up an account, but since, uh, you know, uh, so many of you are on Facebook, we're going to start using the Facebook commenting system. If it works according to plan, once that's set up, you guys will be able to use Facebook and it'll also help decrease spam comments. We've been dealing with that a lot behind the scenes. So if we really know who you are, you know, it, it kind of eliminates that particular, that particular issue, which in turn makes things easier for me. Also, I've mentioned it a few times and there's going to be a full post going up this weekend. We are looking, you know, for new writers, whether full-time or contributing writers, uh, minimum. If your full-time writer is four articles a month, that's one article a week. Obviously, that's subject to change. If you want to create more articles, that's great. But that's one of the prerequisites for writing for the site. Obviously, that and uh, good command of the English language, uh, D, you know, good spelling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all, all, all the stuff that you would expect if you're writing for any website is what we're looking for. But we're going to put out a full announcement this weekend. Uh, primarily, we need just some people to help us round out our comic section and maybe somebody to come on board to do some tech stuff. Like I said, you you can either do it full-time or on a contribution basis. I know a lot of you guys have been seeing guest posts, which we do accept from time to time, depending on the content and if it falls in line with the stuff that you guys follow. But again, we are going to make a bigger push to bring more writers on board because there's way too much content and not enough hours in the day for yours truly. And of course, for Slick and... Andrea, etc. So we're going to try and distribute that. Obviously, it's not a paid gig, but we'll try and give you guys whatever demos and review copies of stuff we can get. Um, if you're local here in New York City, we'll try and get you into events or Comic-Con or stuff like that. So those are some of the perks. Obviously, if, if things pick up, then other options will present themselves. So 
figured I would get that out of the way. Also, got to talk about a couple of guests we got on the horizon next week. Ultimate Fighter cast member Gilbert Smith will be joining us to discuss uh, the newest season with John Jones and Chael Sonnen. He'll be calling in next week. Also on the 28th, Jason David Frank. Many of you know him as the Green Ranger on Power Rangers. He's also a mixed martial artist, former Zeo Ranger, former White Ranger. Also now a Guinness Book World Record holder will be joining us on the 28th live on air. So those are two of the guests we got. We may actually also have some guests coming in on the 21st as well. Possibly on the 14th. The 14th is a little sketchy, but the 21st and the 28th definitely. And of course, next week as well. All right. So let's get into what we're going to be talking about this week. Obviously, we got UFC. We got Tough. We got Bellator. We got the Royal Rumble. We got Raw. We got TNA. We got a bunch of stuff to cover. So figured uh, we'll get into that. But first, I got to extend some congratulations to my friend Gary Friedman, who a lot of you guys have heard here on the show with me numerous times discussing MMA, um, along with his broadcast colleague, Spilled Bag of Ice. Gary actually became a father today to, to two beautiful twins. So congratulations to Gary and the crew at Fight Insight Radio for that. Um, I actually texted him earlier, but I did want to acknowledge it on air. So congrats to Gary. Also, got to give a shout out to the guys from the GFQ Network who started their wrestling show, Mat Men, Thursdays at 6 on the GFQ Network. But we're also going to talk about our involvement um, with regards to um, what went down with the Royal Rumble this weekend. So we're going to discuss that. But... Let's get into some MMA because Ben and I have a lot to cover and Ben, of course, is probably on the line. So let's get this party started. Welcome back, Ben. What's going on, brother? Ben, are you there? No, Ben? Not on hold. Let me try it again. Let's see. Huh. Can you? There you go. What's yeah, up, dude? I don't, I don't know what that was. <laughs> Come on, man. Stop breaking the What's show. We're, we're, we're only 10 minutes in. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what was going on. Well, welcome back. It was a crazy, crazy week of MMA. Tons of stuff went down. Got to talk about Bellator first because obviously you are highly, highly upset with the results of the welterweight title fight. So <laughs> let, let's let's discuss that first because that's probably that's probably the major point here. Uh, ben Askren doing what Ben Askren does, um, but this time not so much smothering, but Securing a victory via doctor stoppage at, at in the third round. Um, I really my whole problem with Ben Askren is it, it never seemed like he was trying to hurt anyone, like nope. trying to to come with any sort of offense. In this fight, it was clear that he saw Carl Amasu was cut and was going to exasperate that cut as much as he could until he got a stoppage. So. I mean, I'll give him credit for that. He did a good job. Um, I don't know. Ben Askren continues to be 
he's going to probably continue to be extremely boring. He's probably going to fight Douglas Lima again and have to fight him the same way he fought him the first time. I don't know. Ben Askren is a developing fighter that shouldn't be in the spot he's in where we have to see him as much. So because of that, you're, you're going to get, you know, people are going to complain. That's just how it is. Well, here's here's a, a, a crazy question. I'll just throw this out there. Ben Askren, UFC, GSP, who takes it? He he gets murked. Ben Askren <laughs> gets his ass whooped up and down the <laughs> damn ring. Damn, he, dude. He oh, mercy. He wouldn't take GSP down, and he'd just get beat up. Uh, he Ben Askren, at best, is a fringe top 10 welterweight. Like, he'd probably lose to everybody in the top 10. Like, legit. Like, everybody who's in the UFC that's the top echelon, like, I, I don't see him beating Roy McDonald. I don't see him beating Tiago Alves, Josh Kocheck. You know, I don't see him beating any of these dudes. Like, he, he gets away with fighting the way he fights because he doesn't have none of these dudes in a Bellator, except maybe Douglas Luma, can really make him pay for, you know, doing nothing. <laughs> he ain't doing that in the UFC. <laughs> Duly noted. Well, speaking of Douglas Lima, he had a nice uh, performance. Uh, TKO, knee injury in the second round. Um, Mikhail Sarev, you know, just got he he just got caught on the bitter end of that bouncing on one leg. The guy tried but couldn't hold on. So Douglas Lima advances. Yeah, um, that's that fight should have probably been stopped in the first round because like. I think he landed that kick right as the bell uh, went off, and it looked like he blew out the dude's knee right then. And, uh, I mean, it was obvious that he had nothing after that. Like, his knee was done. Uh, but, yeah, Douglas Lehman, you know, putting up big offense, doing what he does. Well, before we, we talk about King Mo, what would you think of that Ben Saunders-Kofi uh, Adizio fight? Um, It, it was nice. Um, ben Saunders was a on the feet, he looked a tad bit sloppy to me, like sloppier than he has looked. Because normally he would have just got that out of that right, right, real quick. But um, it, it was a decent fight. Um, I can't, I can't really complain. Uh, it was a decent fight. Um, he's probably gonna end up fighting Douglas Lima again, and probably end up getting knocked out again. So <laughs> it, it was a good fight. I was, I was, I was bummed out. I was a little torn on the Brent Weedman Marius Zaromskis fight because that fight was was really competitive back and forth. And I kind of wanted to give the fight to Zaromskis, but unanimous decision went to Reed, to, to Weedman, 29-27 across the board. I could see giving maybe one of, maybe one or two rounds to um, to um, Zaromskis. But the only thing is, he clearly was hitting him when he was on the ground with those knees. And yeah. Zaromskis also was doing some extracurricular shit with some of them flips. Like that one flip to try to get in the gut, like that was, so there was no need to do that, but um, you know he um, he he looked good in the fight. But I, I can see Weeman. I, I definitely saw, saw that for Weeman, uh, just because of those lost points and Weeman was out striking him. So yeah, it's weird. Marius Zaromski had so much potential. You know, people were bigging him up left and right, and not to say that he's lost a step, but he's just. I'd expect him to be further along in his career, maybe in the UFC or. Even in strike force, you know, like full time. I don't know. It seemed like he was kind of coasting off of the, the that that string of what was like three straight vicious head kick knockouts he got in Dream. Yep. But he was coasting off that for a long, long time. It was it was 
Cause, I mean, he, he and Dream, he, he got them three violent knockouts. I mean, he knocked out Jason High. He knocked, I can't remember the other guys he knocked out, but I know he knocked out Jason High. Um, probably some other random Japanese dudes. But, uh, yeah, he, he had some really nice knockouts. And then, like, he got his ass whooped by Diaz. And then I don't even remember who. I think he lost. Him and Spirit Wolf. He got cut by Joaquin Spirit Wolf. Yeah. They had, like, 15,000 fights. And, like, <laughs> and now he's he's losing the dudes in Bellator. I don't know. Azrof just, I don't know. He just never seemed like he really evolved the game past losing the dudes the in kickboxing. Bellator. And the flashy kick. I don't know. He just no, it's uh, really it's 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 very random, the way that that went down with him. Because like I said, he had so much. People were just bigging him up left and right, and and part of it also is just the hype train. People jump on the hype train real quick, and then it's like, oh, you know, this guy's ready to this guy's yeah. ready for for title contention. But um, it's weird. He he almost has like that gatekeeper status for that division. Yeah, I mean. If you can't beat Zoranskis, you don't need to be one of the big promotions, to be perfectly honest. Uh, he, he's, he, he's a good fighter, but he's one-dimensional. So, like, like younger guys would do good against him, like putting dudes in that, um, you know, you don't know if they're going to sink and swim in big promotions. You put them in against Zoranskis, he's, he's, he's one-dimensional, and, and you see how they swing and swim. I don't know. Um, I mean, Zoranskis is still a good fighter. He's still going to make a living fight, but he's... He just ne- never has reset potential that some people thought he was going to. I forgot. I forgot to tell you when we were talking about the Ben Saunders fight, man. That awkward ass suplex that Kofi Adizio tried. People, yeah, people made gif- people made gifs yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah, he got super duper countered and looked ridiculous. So <laughs> ended up. I, I don't know, <laughs> uh, but I mean, it was still a fun fight to watch. Well, let's talk about King Mo coming in and detonating his fist on, uh, I can't even say this guy's name because it's Polish. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there's way too many yeah, letters. Too many, too many consonants in there. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, fist detonation, TNT to the face. It was ridiculous, dude. He just walked in, blasted him, and left. He didn't, not even break in a sweat. Yeah, he looked really, really good. He kind of he came out in that night. That silly shell, kind of Floyd Mayweather, kind of rolling with punches, kind of, kind of style. And yep. like, I, cause I, I'm not even gonna try to say the dude name either. Nah. He 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 was throwing punches, but like just barely missing. And then King Mo just caught him with that uppercut and knocked him out. I mean, this is what King Mo's gonna probably end up doing throughout this tournament. Like, he's gonna probably have no need to wrestle. Like, he's gonna probably beat people up on the feet the, the whole tournament. Yeah, well, that's, that's what you expect him to do. Well, you know what the funny thing is. If he keeps putting on performances like that, his tenure in Bellator and wrestling is gonna be is gonna be plentiful on both sides. Because think about it, he's not getting hurt in fights, and then he just goes and wrestles a little bit and comes back. More or less, I mean, this is hey, if this is what he want to do, this is what he want to do. Because there's not going to be very many Bellator light heavyweights. There's not going to be very many light heavyweights they're gonna get that are going to mess with King Mo. Unless they get Rampage, and even Rampage, I think, is going to get beat up by King Mo. Yeah, like, well, Rampage could do better than these dudes could, but Rampage would still probably end up getting beat up by King Mo. Yeah, well, Rampage, one of my favorite fighters, not too happy with him, and we'll get to that in a minute, but um, I was I was just impressed with Mo to the point where he walked in, and he wasn't even sweating the dude. He just dropped his hands like, come on. And then he just caught him. I was like, oh, that was ridiculous. <laughs> 
Yeah. Great. I mean, that's hey, that's what that's what King that's how King Mo is supposed to treat everybody he fights in Bellator. Like King Mo is a legit top ten light heavyweight. Um, maybe even top five, given given the right you know chance to 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 fight top five guys. This is how he should treat these dudes. Like this is John Jones would be doing this kind of stuff to people if he was in Bellator. Like this is just he's on that level. So I mean, this is what he should be doing. Well, you know what the funny thing is? He doesn't shy away from his wrestling. His wrestling is a is an in-case-of-emergency break-glass situation because he has power in his hands, and he's yeah. and he's comfortable with, with his hands. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, he has, he's probably going to have no real reason to ever use his wrestling in Bellator. Like, because, I mean, there's really no one that's going to make him. Like, there's no one in the light heavyweight division that they have right now that is good enough on the feet that would worry King Mo. Like, there's just not. So, I don't know. I'd be really interested to see how, how this all plays out. And if they are able to sign, like, maybe they can sign Rumble Johnson. You know, he's light heavyweight now. Sign somebody like that. Um, Rumble Johnson and Mo would be awesome. Be better light yeah, just, just to see. I, I, just, I just would love to see that. So That could that could end very, very violently. <laughs> yeah, somebody somebody would get knocked down there. Like, <laughs> like, I, I want to see. Like, I want, I want Bellator... Philly's making an attempt at getting a really good light heavyweight. Like, I mean, there's not a lot outside of USC, but, like, Rumble Johnson's one of them. Uh, Jake Rochaw. Like, there's a couple. Like, try to get some of them. Just just to give, you know, make King Mo at least break a sweat in these fights. <laughs> well, let's switch gears and go into UFC on Fox 6. Um, tremendous, tremendous card. A lot of, lot of great fights. Um I want to talk about the bouts on FX first. I just want to pluck a couple out of there. Uh, Rafael Natal and Sean Spencer, nasty, beautifully executed arm triangle in the third by Sapo. It was disgusting. I was like, wow, he he went for the Kimura and then boom, arm triangle, and it was lights out. Yeah, that, that, he looked really good in that fight. I mean, he was basically fighting a 170-pounder, but he still looked good, um, you know, once he got it to the ground and, was able to get the arm triangle. I mean, he didn't even have to jump to the side. He just did it from the mount. Um, it, it was a good arm triangle. Sean Jordan, Mike Russo. I don't know that that fight. I kind of said that might be Mike Russo's ticket out of the UFC. Sean Jordan just just murking him, getting full mount and just devastating punches from the top. It was ridiculous in the second. Russo Russo looked okay in the first. He looked he looked okay. He was starting to find his groove, but then. Jordan Jordan just put it in second gear and just took him down and that was it. The short elbows right into the full yeah. mount. Yeah, it was crazy because I mean Russo was like doing work in the first and then I guess he got tired or something. But I mean that happens when you're just like a really fat guy. Like, <laughs> I got tired or something and like just got smashed on uh, the whole second round. Like it it was it was kind of it was it was crazy because he was getting he was winning. So much, like he was really, really winning, and then all of a sudden it's just like, nah, it's like you're tired now, and it was that was it. I mean, Sean Jordan looked good in the fight, or well, in the second round at least. Is it is it wrong of me to think to to say that I had no idea Ryan Bader was fighting? Is it wrong for me to say that? I <laughs> didn't either. Like, I mean, I knew like later. I mean, when when they finally when they started showing him, but I was like, wait, Ryan Bader's fighting? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I like honestly, I didn't know either. But he, hey, he looked good though. Um, got that overhand right, and then jumped into the gears, and he looked good. 
he looked good. He's he's making he's making a solid case for himself. And then people were like, yeah, but you know, it's not like he was fighting a guy who's who's super dangerous. But it's like Vladimir Matyshenko is no slouch. You know that guy. That he's guy not, can catch you any way any way possible, standing or on the ground. Yeah, that's that's completely true. I mean, pe- people, you know, you know, don't think Vladimir Matyshenko is that great. And, you know, honestly, he's not the greatest fighter in the UFC, but he's still a decent fighter who, you know, posed a lot of problems with dudes. And he, he Brian Bader treated him like he wasn't a very good fighter. Yep. One punch and into a guillotine, and it was like in fifty seconds. So. I mean, you can't fault Ryan Bader for doing what he's supposed to do. Let's talk about this highway robbery of Clay Guida and Hatsu Hiyoki. And I like Clay Guida. I like the dude. You know, he's always exciting. He's fun for the sport. But highway fucking robbery in this fight. Yeah, I don't even. (laughs) When I heard that decision, I was like, what the fuck? Like, who? Who? First of all, first of all, like Joe Logan said, Whoever the motherfucker that was like, oh, it's thirty twenty seven Clay yep. Guida, you shouldn't even be allowed to watch him remain no more. That's what I was about to say. We don't understand the sport. Like, like I, you, I can make it. I can see someone making an argument that Clay Greeter won two rounds because he clearly won the third round. I can see someone making an argument that he won two rounds. That's fine. But if you out here really saying he won every single round, you don't need to watch sport anymore. Nope. But clearly, I don't think he won. I think I think he lost the first two rounds. It clearly, like, I don't even think it was, like, hard to see. He got outstruck, and then when he did get takedowns, he was fighting off getting submitted. Like it, it, like I said in my article, it, it annoys me that these MMA doesn't have this preconceived notion that if you're on your back, you're losing yep. instantaneously. Like, no, Clay Guida was defending submissions and sweeps the entire round and just laying there. Like, the same thing happened when Clay Guida fought Anthony Pettis, and I thought he lost to Anthony Pettis. He got beat up on the feet and then defended submissions and sweeps. And and basically just laid there and moved around a lot like, you know, Clay Guida does. And and hey, Clay Guida, you know, Clay Guida is a good fighter, but he's not no. He didn't win that fight. He didn't win that fight in the slightest. And anyone who who's out here saying he did, including Clay Guida, Clay Guida doesn't understand what effective offense is in fact. Oh yeah, I was I saw it and I was like, no way. And you know, I feel bad for Hatsu Hioki because that's a guy that came in with uh, another guy, tremendous fanfare, and he's just he's just not succeeding in the octagon the way he should. That transition got him messed well, up. He, he, yeah, I mean, he beat up Bart, Bart Pelicinski. He beat George Roo. He did lose Ricardo Lamas. He did lose Ricardo Lamas. Uh, he lost two rounds of Ricardo Lamas, and that was legit. This Clay Greer fight, he should have won. He should be, what's that, three and one in the UFC. It, this, there's no way he should have lost the fight. I, I just don't agree with that. At all. How about that TJ Grant Matt Wyman knockout? Woo! <laughs> TJ Grant, TJ Grant made Matt Wyman do a belly flop with standing elbows. Like, that was nasty. I mean, TJ Grant since he's dropped to lightweight has just been beasting. Like that fight would have been done on this fight. I mean, that was just nasty. I don't know what's up with Matt Wyman. The fact that he didn't have any sponsors and he shut down his Twitter. I don't know what's going on with that. But, I mean, that fight, he hit him with them standing elbows, and then, oof, that was nice. Getting blood on the camera, that was beautiful. <laughs> Let's talk about, uh, speaking of, 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 of blood and, 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 and bloody explosions, let's talk about Eric Koch and Ricardo Lamas. It looked like when you squeeze a mad ball, when, and when you were a kid and you had a mad ball and you squeezed it when it was full of water, and water just spurts out. 
dude, he opened his eye up. Yeah, that- it was ridiculous. It looked like it looked like um like like when you buy crushed tomatoes in a supermarket. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. The funniest part to me was outside of that. Um, is the way because you uh, if, for those who don't know, Fox is not a fan of it being really bloody. Nope. And if you notice, they paint over the the mat when there's blood, and like it was funny because they never really if you if you watch it, they never really showed the replay. Like they showed it one time, realized it was a giant blood bubble boiling out of Eric Koch's head, <laughs> that, that elbow. They were like, yeah, we can't show that again. I love somebody would get upset. I love when Joe Rogan was like, oh my god. <laughs> Like, that was incredibly bloody. That was nasty. And and um and, and Ricardo Lamas really surprised me. I don't think he'll beat Frankie Edgar or Jose Aldo or Jose Aldo. But um he surprised the hell out of me because I seriously thought Eric Coke was gonna run over him. But he as soon as he got on top, he started throwing punches and elbows and opened Eric Coke Coke's face up real quick. That was nasty. Well, you know what's funny? The post the post fight photo of Eric Coke. I think it was like that later that night or that day, dude. It was it was huge. It looked like a crater. Yeah, I saw it. it, was, it yeah, I, that was nasty. Um, I mean, that's gonna need some stitches. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, hey, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, if you get the opportunity to hit somebody with an elbow like that, that's what you're going to do. That was that was beautifully violent. That was that was nice. Meanwhile. On the uh, speaking of beautiful violence, freaking Showtime! Holy cow! Cartwheel kick, Oof, knee off works. the cage, liver kick for the finish. Beautiful. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> that boy is cold. Like, there's no other way to explain. When you throw on cartwheel kicks that close to a dude as dangerous as uh, Donald Cerrone. Donald Cerrone backs up into the cage. You hit him with a knee. The crazy thing is, like, when you watch it live, like, I, I was like, oh, well, that looked cool, but it didn't really land. And then you watch it again, you're like, oh, shit, that landed. What? Yep. Like, it, it's crazy. Like, he he, threw, like, he put his foot on the cage, hopped off, and threw a knee. I was like, what? what, what who does that? Anthony Pettis is sick. The, the fact that he throws this stuff, like, it's just normal. Like, this is just, this is just a jab to him, like a spinning real kick flipping through the air. Like, that's just normal to Anthony Pettis. Like, it's crazy. Um, and that body kick, I love I love the fact that the body kick, like, it had that delayed reaction that, like, when Donald Cerrone got hit with it initially, you saw he was like, I'm okay, I'm okay. Oh, shit, oh, shit no. <laughs> fell straight down. <laughs> like, like, that That was nasty. Um, and you can't I speak really bad of Cerrone. Oh, you know? yeah, and I've never seen Cerrone. That's, that is a... Well, no, because I think he was a little bit more hurt to the head when he fought Melvin Gallardo. Like, Melvin Gallardo almost knocked him out. But the fact that, like, that body kick just like, lasted him like that and the delayed reaction he had when he got hit by it, like, that was just, that was ridiculous. Like, I don't know. I'm really hoping that Anthony Curtis actually gets his um his title shot um this time because, I mean, he do deserves it. Like, I, I, don't, I don't see what else he can do. To, to win, to get it, like he should get the the winner. Give him Melendez and Benson Henderson. Like that, that'll that will be a sick fight. It, either the Benson Henderson rematch or the uh, the fight with Give Melendez. Like I'm really looking forward to seeing if I want those two dudes. I just I just want to know if we're gonna see another Showtime kick. You know you know what's funny, dude should know better than to try and press him to the cage. Like you got to keep that fight with him in the middle. 
Do not give him any outlets because if you give him any outlets up against the cage, he's going to spring off the cage and hit you with something, and it's going to be totally legal. He almost did it to Clay Guida. Like, he almost hit like a spinning wheel kick yep. off the cage on Clay Guida. Yep. Like, if you start backing up like to the cage, like he's going to do something off the cage. <laughs> and, and, and that's – I mean, and he might not even do it, but the, the, the simple threat of if I back up too far from him like this, he can hop off the cage and – take my head off like the simple threat that he can do that is absolutely insane dude the fact when he caught benson henderson with the with the showtime kick and and bendo ate that and got back up you know most dudes that would have been the dirt nap right there yeah i mean if he it, the craziest part is if he had landed shin to face oh it would have been over like, he, he landed foot to face if that was his shin that was it like, Mr. Henderson just got a couple, he got a couple centimeters away, so it just landed on the the, uh, the foot and it hit the face. But if that was Shin, you, nah, that's it. The way he the way he kicks, nah, you was done. <laughs> now, for, for, let's 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 switch gears from all the wonderful excitement to the equivalent of watching fat people trying to hula hoop with Jackson and Teixeira. Dude, I yelled at my television. For 15 minutes straight. My wife looked at me like, yo, you all right? I'm like, no, 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 I'm not all right. I'm not. I'm not all right. I'm not. Because this is what this is what irks me. And I know and I know you're going to have a, 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 a wonderful response for it. But this is what irks me. You want to go in there. You talk yeah. about, yeah, dudes don't stand and bang with me and whatever. Okay, the dude stood and banged with you. But you let this dude take you down. This dude ate your lunch in front of you. Twice, like nothing, with ease. Like, dude, you're a wrestler. How are you letting this dude who doesn't have a discipline in wrestling first just just take your lunch money, put you on your ass, and then consistently just connect with, with, with punches? It, it looked ridiculous. It looked like Glover Teixeira was fighting a heavyweight out there. Rampage was doing the slow motion. I'm like, yo, what the fuck is going on? It was to the point where, so, where you know, I follow Rampage on Instagram, and, and you know, it's always cool to follow dude. And he was, he put up a picture of some stuff with some ATVs and shit. And somebody put, man, you know, that fight with you and Teixeira was bullshit, right? And and it the it leads to it leads me to believe when they announced the winner, you saw he was putting his fist like, oh, and then he, you know, he because he knew he lost. Uh-huh. Like, like you could tell, he it almost felt like he purposely phoned that fight in, and I was so mad, dude, so mad because it's like, dude, I know Teixeira's a dangerous dude, and you know we've given him his kudos, but come on, yeah, I, I, he, he's what I think. Basically, Webpage had no intention of trying. Nope. Um, Webpage has rarely been taken down by anyone. Thank the you. whole thing with Rampage is he stops you from taking him down and then beats you up on the feet. Like yep. He stopped John Jones from takedown. But John Jones didn't get a takedown for the fourth round in that fight. There you go. If, if he wants to stop your takedown, he stops your takedown. Glover Teixeira is not a better wrestler than John Jones. That's that's a given. Um, I, I, how can I put this? Rampage needs to take a step back from the sport, like I said. Like, like we said last week, and just get away from it for a while because he's obviously not into it. He's now saying that the UFC lied about pay-per-view numbers, which is 
incredibly dumb to say, considering that if you have pay-per-view points, you can audit their numbers so you can get your money. So, But you know yeah. what? To, but, dude, yeah. not, not to cut you off, I, but think about this. But, what company doesn't fucking lie in this country? What company doesn't lie? It's like, dude, and, and I was going to talk about this later on, but I'll say it now. Dana White was like, yo, you made $15 million. Fifteen. Fifteen mil. Not even counting sponsorship money. And you still complaining. And then you go out there and you and you right. insult the fans by by putting your hand up like I I wasn't gonna you know like I wasn't gonna win like like he didn't give a shit. Yeah, he 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 more or less like like you said he phoned it in like he he, he talked a good game he wore those ugly ass Reebok shoes that I have no idea what the fuck you can do in those shoes uh, except I guess run on a mountain um, he. I can't even really explain what Rampage has become because at one time this dude was the best light heavyweight in the world, and now he's more or less just not caring. Like some some something somewhere has happened where Rampage has stopped giving a fuck about fighting, or at least fighting competitively. I mean, he straight out said that he doesn't think he's as good as the elite heavyweights, but he wants to go out and put on a good show like Gary Goodrich. That's not intelligent to say because Gary Goodrich now has to mention. Like I'm sure Rampage knows that. That's yep. like a incredibly dumb thing to say. Yep. There's a reason Gary Goodridge was putting on a good show because he was willing to get knocked all the way the fuck out. But I don't know. I, I, I can't really... I have no idea what Rampage is going to do after this. I just felt... Um, hopefully I, he doesn't fight anyone. But. I just felt insulted as a fan that you put that performance and then you clown the fact that you lost. Like, like I, no. That's what I didn't like. And not only do you just go in there and do that, which whatever, man, and, and and people are on the web like, yo, that fight was no, no, it wasn't. I'm a diehard Rampage fan, and to the to the point where I still wear that creepy ass Affliction Wolf shirt. I still rock that shit once in a while to work, cause I got love for the dude. I spent fifty five dollars on that shirt, and you go out there and you downplay the fact that you didn't win. Like it's funny to you. It's like really, dude. Like, like yo, like you said, take a powder, and and, and if you don't want to fight, either go and box, where where I, where where dancing around like that is is the is the move, or go and wrestle or act. I'd rather see you in a dozen lame Cinemax made for TV movies than watch the shit I had to endure for fifteen fucking minutes. And it was on free TV. If I would have paid for that dude, my foot would have been through my television. Yeah, no, nah, I feel you. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's what he really needs to do. He just needs to go and act. Cause, I mean, or whatever he calls acting. <laughs> I mean, just go and do, do these movies because he's not he's not in the fight anymore. Like he, he just doesn't have the hunger to fight anymore. And I really hope he wasn't serious about the whole going out and putting on a good show like Gary Goodrich because that's not. Yeah, he tripping. Nobody Dude, but, wants that. Like, but it's like you don't want to do what Gary Goodrich did. When you're sitting at the media press day playing on the Vita, not given the remotest of fucks, I was like, "See, it is." The, as soon as I saw him, like, "See, it is the bullshit we got to look forward to Saturday." And then when I saw him at the weigh-ins and he was hype, he's like, "Yeah, I lost weight. I'm ready to rock and roll. We gonna go out there and bang." I'm like, "Okay, this is what's up." 
It's like, yo, you have four limbs, four, and you only use two of them. It was like it, it was like watching like Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump fight. Come on, son. I mean, he 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 didn't want it. I mean, he didn't want it, and that leads me to 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 the whole thing where I said I wasn't impressed with Glover Teixeira. Like, you're fighting a dude that clearly really doesn't want to be there. Yeah, you really get him out of there. Yeah, he should he should he should have murked him on principle. Yeah, like you, you should have been able to get him out of there. Like I, I did, but the fact that you you go through what fifteen minutes, he gets tagged multiple times. It gives his, I'm I'm not one of these people that all hype on. Ooh, Glover Teixeira can beat John Jones. Man, get that shit out of here. Nah, he's beating Alexander Gustafson. Like he's, he's not these guys. Gustafson. Like I almost had the the feeling, and it, and I, you know this is just me, but it almost felt like those dudes just came to an agreement. Like yeah, we're gonna come out there and trade. And that's it. Like it, it, it felt that way so much, dude. Because it's like, not to say that that he threw the fight, because you know he didn't give a shit. It was his last fight. But just the way that that fight went, it's like, yo, like Tashera should have been going in for the kill. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's. I mean, it, it did feel like he kind of like he held back. Like they have wanted to just prove a point. Like I can stand with Rampage, which I guess is a big deal, but it's not. Like, dude, just, like, tap him out. Like, you can tap him. Thank you. you. Could, you if you're taking him down that easily, like, you could have tapped him. Like, I don't know. It just, I'm not that impressed with him. And uh, I know a lot of other people are super impressed with Glover Teixeira. I'm not, but. Chill. I mean, <laughs> I, I, yeah, like, uh, I mean, he's a good light everywhere, but he's not, he ain't, he ain't with no titles. Not not from John Jones, he ain't winning no title. Nah, no. And he ain't beating Gustafson or Gegard Mousasi or Rashad. These are a bunch of dudes that pick over him. So yeah, Glover Teixeira, he's riding on that uh, on that roller coaster, but not for nothing. He fights a a motivated Gegard Mousasi. It's lights out for that dude. Yeah, he getting smashed by Mousasi, Mousasi, <laughs> Gustafson, Henderson, Machida. Like, there's a bunch of dudes that pick over Gustafson, but. You know, people, people, people are feeling right now. I, I, I don't see what where all the hype is coming from. He's not. He hasn't beat anyone that's came off a win in the UFC. If people don't realize that, like he's fought three dudes that were all came off a loss. Like he hasn't fought anyone who came off a win. Beat somebody who came off a win. But I, I was pumped though because him. the title fight, the title fight redeemed the entire night, dude. It was like, it was like ping pong balls bouncing around, like rock'em sock'em robots. Yeah, man, them, them, they they put on a show. Uh, John Dotson and Demetrius Johnson put on a show. I mean, John Dotson and Demetrius Johnson put on a show. They, um, I thought that John Dotson won the first two rounds, maybe even, I don't know if I would call, say he won the third round, but it looked like. The third round was a really close round because that was a swing round because after the third round, from the fourth and fifth round, Demetrius Johnson was whooping that ass all around the ring. For the fourth or fifth round. Well, you know what but, I think. I think happened. Right. No, what I, what I think happened yeah. was that you know Dotson has a slightly bigger frame, so you can mm-hmm. see that Dotson came out super hype, super hype, and Demetrius Johnson mm-hmm. paced himself. He's like, "Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Go ahead," and then he just turned on the switch. 
That's what it felt that, like. Like like Johnson that, was kind of peppering him. Like it, no, Johnson was yeah, peppering I mean, him, for, for, but but he wasn't really trying to go in there because he's like, go ahead, man, you're going to gas yourself out and you're going to get yourself spent and then I'm, it's just it's just going to be a clinic. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, it was all, he almost got himself knocked out in the second round, though. I mean, Dotson dropped him, what was it, two or three times? Yep. I mean, Dotson, see, the thing with me is, like, Dotson is the only dude I see, not that can beat Demetrius Johnson, but the only dude that speed for speed can match Demetrius Johnson. And like, Dotson has power. Like, no one else out here is like, yeah, and Dotson can hit, he might, he might be the most powerful fighter in that division. I'm talking, I, I can't think of any other 125 that aren't even in the UFC that, that really knocks dudes down as much as Demetrius Johnson, I mean, uh, John Dotson does, because in every single fight, someone gets, uh, he's knocking you down. He might not win the fight, but he's going to knock you down. <laughs> You're going to fall down for one of the punches. But uh, Demetrius Johnson looked really good, um, Really good, especially in the fourth and fifth round. Um, getting, you know, get him up in that clinch. Uh, that weird monkey climbing thing he did where he was elbowing him in the top of the head. I mean, he he, he looked really, really good. The the four, especially the fourth and fifth. Round. The yeah yeah the the the, the monkey the uh, coming at you like a spider monkey <laughs> was was ridiculous. I was like, wow, all right, that's what's up. But you know what it was? Johnson knew at that point that the judges were going to look at those knockdowns and he just wanted to make sure he's like, all right, just in case to not leave any doubts, I'm going to come in there and just, just leave it in there. And that's what I'm saying. Like Dodson was going for the kill every chance he got. Johnson was like, go ahead, man, get yourself spent. And and then he just worked them for those three rounds. Yes. I mean, that's the way to go. I mean, I mean, when you, when you're dealing with a fighter that is explosive, like the meets uh, John Dodson is like John Dodson. The craziest part to me about the fight was like the, I think it was what round was it? I think it was the second round, which which speaks to a lot about what I'm about to say about John Dotson. I think he threw a flying knee and over jump, almost jumped clear over Demetrius Johnson. I believe it was that. I think it was the second. I think it was the second. Yeah, like he he nearly jumped over another five three person. Like he nearly jumped completely over him. Like that that explains like his his explosiveness. Like he's an extremely explosive fighter, and with fighters like that, they tend to. They tend to rely on that a lot, and it was clear that he relied on it a bit. I mean, not that he, I think he has really bad cardio. It's just Demetrius Johnson might have the better cardio, and he showed in that fight. Yeah, I was I was thoroughly thoroughly impressed. Like like it, it, it I went from anger to elation because those guys went in there and put on a <laughs> clinic. Yes, I mean. Like, this is where I like the one twenty five. I know a lot of a lot of MMA or not, not a lot of MMA fans. Well, some MMA fans don't like the one twenty five because they're always like they don't finish fights. Blah 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 blah. Man, look, they they put on some of the most exciting, most technical fights. If you're a fan of the sport, you're a fan of one twenty five because they they're able to do everything and not get tired. Like it is fun to watch. Well, uh, to, to cap off that weekend, we're gonna fast forward right into the Ultimate Fighter. Um, one thing that kind of a lot of people were were clowning the episode about is like, yo, why there's so many people crying this episode? <laughs> a lot of a lot <laughs> it of didn't seem like they were focusing a lot on the tears. Yeah, dude, a lot of theatric, a lot of theatrics on display. But Luke Barnett, Gilbert Smith, who's joining us next week, um, it was it was ridiculous the way that went because the setup. I said to myself, he's gonna go in for the setup. And this dude's going to try and pull something crazy out of his ass. And that's what happened. He came in forward and got caught with the with, with that flying knee. 
it was insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like everyone else on the show said, even though I, I wouldn't have said it in the fashion that some of these other fighters on John Jones team said it, it was a not a great style matchup. I mean, when you right. got a dude that I believe Dibble Smith is 5'8", five, 5'9", five, ish, you find a dude that's six six. Like it, it's not a great style match. I mean, it, it wasn't like he was doing horrible in the fight, but um, and, and that's something I also ask him. Like all that muscle mass, have you ever thought about losing some of it? You know, to go down to one seventy because he's only like five nine. But you know, he was getting tired. Um, he he came in for a takedown, got caught with a flying knee. It, shit happens. I mean, it wasn't a great style matchup, but he wasn't like he was getting destroyed. Nope. So he looked um, he looked good, man. He looked you know, good. He was, putting in that work like i said and and going back to what you were saying stylistically it just wasn't it, it wasn't the right fit yeah i mean yeah i mean I, it wouldn't have been the fight fight i picked first uh especially against that tall of a fighter so but you know it, it's only the first fight of the season uh they're alluding to the the really explosive terrible somebody's going to the hospital knockout um next week I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's Uriah Hall going to the hospital. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. But I've heard him talk after the show, and he doesn't seem. Like, I mean, I know they can't say anything, but if you got sent to the hospital and they're playing it up, he, he he seemed like he would be a little bit more upset how he he's talking after the show. So I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking it's Uriah Hall, just considering like Chell telling them all jumped up and like in the, in the hospital bed it looked like it was a black guy right but you know you never know it, it could it, it could be the other dude i don't know it could, could be. be just like the way that the camera looked that one time and it could be the other dude I, i'm i'm not sure yeah I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to seeing it because but for dana white to 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 plug the shit out of that like yo somebody somebody gets really emt'd out of here i'm like wow like, you know, EMT, I can understand if you break your leg, you know, something crazy. But when he's talking about getting EMT'd on the way out the door, I'm like, well, shit. Yeah, I, 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 um, it could be right off, um, which would be unfortunate because I thought he was one of the more talented fighters in the show. But from everything I've heard, like, he's going to probably be, I think the majority of these dudes are going to end up fighting on the finale anyway. So they're going to be in the UFC anyway, but. You know, um, it, it looks like it could be him, but we'll we'll see um what next Tuesday. Yeah, we'll find out next Tuesday. All right, let's get into the um yeah. the other MMA news for this week. Just uh, real quick, obviously the um, knockout of the night and the bonuses went out fifty grand. Showtime got the KO of the night. No shock there. Uh, Ryan Bader took submission of the night, and Demetrius and John Dodson took fifty k apiece for their. Fight of the night honors. Yeah, yeah, that hey, that's uh, those are that all those um those fit. Well, Dana White did an interview with uh, MMA Junkie. Of course, it's fight week, so you know, crazy Dana White shit comes out of the news immediately. So, of course, Rampage was the topic of discussion, and they asked Dana White about Rampage complaining about his pay. And this is what we were saying. He goes, he goes, if you're gonna go out. And you want to say all the stuff about the UFC. We know what we are. We know what we do. We know what you've been paid. He goes, okay, you made $15.2 million, but you wanted a hundred. It's always going to be the case. Now, before, before we move on, it's like, dude, you want a hundred million dollars for argument's sake. 
You want $100 million, and you're going to go out there and slap box for 15 minutes, and you want $100 million. You're crazy. Plus, this is MMA. Like, they don't have the money to give you $100 million. Oh. UFC can't just... I mean, the UFC could probably pay some of the lower-tier fighters more than they actually pay them. Because I think the base salary is like 8 and 8. Like, I think they could, they could probably pay them far more than that if they wanted to. But $100 million? Really? No. They don't have that. <laughs> they can't be out here giving you $100 million for their page. Well, the other thing was, and this is exactly what you and I were talking about, they asked Dana White about him playing games at the press conference, and he goes to come up here and treat the media the way he did its professional suicide. Rampage has the ability to be a a huge star. We've seen it. When he's on and his head is right and it's in the game, there's no one more entertaining. There's no better press conference to be at. It's just when he gets in these moods, he shoots himself in the foot. Yeah, basically, I mean, I, I I don't know... I don't know what happened with Rampage because, I mean, like I said, after he beat Dan Henderson, going into that fight with Forrest Griffin, this was the best light heavyweight in the world. He was at the top of the world. He was probably making the most money he'd ever made. Um, then he loses to Forrest Griffin, and things go downhill from there. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. But, you know, the, the other thing was that, you know, Dana White was like, hey, you know, if he wants to go and box or whatever he's going to do, hey, you know, more power to him. Yeah, he also mentioned they can they can match whatever contract he gets. To. Yeah, well, you know, you know why he said that. You know why he said that because I guarantee you, if Bellator makes a play, Dana White's going to use this. You could have Rampage. We could have Alvarez. Oh, let, let Bellator try to try to get Rampage. They will. First of all, if they don't give up on the Eddie Alvarez thing, they're not getting Rampage. Like, they, I mean, and, and, and you're going to get Rampage a year later because. Technically, with this massive period, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go back right then. Yep. It just means that if you don't, you, you have to wait. You got to sit out a year, and then you can go wherever you want. But regardless, yeah, they're, they're going to fuck with Bellator. If Bellator tries to sign Rampage, they're, they're going to use that massive period to 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 just fuck with them. Dude, Absolutely. Eddie Alvarez situation. So I wanted I wanted to bring this up because John Jones did, a, did an interview with MMA Junkie, and there was a couple things that came out of there. Mm-hmm that I wanted to run by you because, you know, there there's certain things that I know you're going to be like, is he out of his mind? So he's talking yeah. about making the jump to heavyweight in 2014 or even later this year. But here's the kicker. He said that he wants to fight Alistair. <laughs> See... Let me let me give you his his exact There's statement. Nothing wrong with that. Let me give you his exact right. statement. He goes, "I would love to face Overeem. I would fight anybody anytime. It's just a lot. I'm just a lot smaller than those guys at heavyweight. I know that would be a major challenge to fight one of those guys, being the size I am right now." Go ahead. <laughs> see, see, there's nothing wrong with that, but you gotta get that heavyweight body. Yep. Like if if he really wants to fight Alistair, he gotta take some time off put on probably 15 to 20 pounds more muscle. Yep. Well, let's see what I'm talking about. Yeah, get, get about 240, 245-ish, 250-ish, and then I can see him fighting Alistair. But right now, like, just at his base weight, about 230, no. Because even though there's a chance that he could beat Alistair, like if Alistair, if he got past the first round, pretty much Alistair's done after the first round. I mean, he could probably beat Alistair, but there's also that chance that if you crunch over Alistair, Oh, it's, it's over. And your insides implode. So I wouldn't suggest that. 
He's gonna. It's gonna be like Fist of the North Star. <laughs> yeah, like I wouldn't suggest that move unless unless you unless you plan on, like I said, getting that 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 heavyweight body. Ain't this ain't the time for it? No, right? sir. And he said this before, but I mean, I, I I believe that when he moves up to heavyweight, he's gonna take some time off and get get right. You know that heavyweight body because well, you can't just jump up at two thirty. You're cut down weight. You got to have that base body of two forty, two fifty. Well, it, it was funny too because in the same in that same interview, they asked him about fighting Cormier, and he said Cormier is gonna have to come and get me. He talked all that trash. I'm gonna make him cut that weight. <laughs> Oh yeah, I heard that too. And I completely agree with that. If Corey is gonna talk about that shit, hey, you gotta come down here. Like you, you talked all that shit. You gotta come here. <laughs> come down, come down to two hundred five. But but it, it, dude, if he goes up there with them, if he goes up there with them chicken legs to try and to try and clinch with with Overeem, dude, it may it, he he may get a a Corey Hill for his troubles. He better chill. <laughs> he better put some meat on them legs and stop playing. Yeah, like I said, he, he he's got to get bigger. Like if he. Like I legit think he could fight a heavyweight one day, but he's got to get bigger first. Like, it, it's just it's it's no way of getting around it. Like he's got to get bigger. Like th- that's why I think it's ridiculous when these people are like, oh, he's a heavyweight fighting a light heavyweight. No, no, he's clearly a light heavyweight. He's it's a, big. John Jones Not, is a is a big athletic looking heavy. He's a big athletic looking light heavyweight. It's like if you put him at, in heavyweight division. Every one of those guys will eclipse him. You need two John Jones to make up an Overeem or to make up a, 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 a Junior Dos Santos or a Cain Velasquez. It's like, oh, come on, man. Those are legit bigger dudes. Like, <laughs> legit. I mean, and, and, he could, and I still think he could beat the majority. Like, he might not be able to beat those top three heavyweights, but I think John Jones could go out there and beat a dude like Stefan Struve, beat a... I'd like to see there. that like, fight. Beat, beat these heavyweights. Like I, I think he could beat these dudes, but those top three, you've got to have that heavyweight body if you run up against them. I'd like to see John Jones and Stefan Struve. Man, that'd be a, a nice fight to see. That'd be a good entry level fight into heavyweight for him. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I think they end up doing is like going up against somebody like like Frank Mir. Maybe well, I think him and Frank Mir are friends, but I think they still fight. But maybe a Frank Mir, maybe or a Stefan Struve or. Or somebody like that. Like throw him up against one of them dudes. Um, let him see how his body adjusts to heavyweight, and then because he'll probably beat them, then put him in the heavyweight title fight against them. I'd like take Overeem or Cain Velasquez. I would probably do Jones and Struve, maybe Jones and Verdum. Then give him the loser of this fight. So you know, maybe make him fight Easter Island, and then title fight. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that would that would be the way to go, but it's going to be a while. And plus, I don't, I honestly don't think he'll move up until maybe the middle of 2014, maybe the end of 2014, because like by then he's going to have fought who, uh, Chell, you end up probably fighting Gustafson, uh, and then he'll probably end up fighting maybe. Um, maybe we'll get that Anderson Dan. super fight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Dan Henderson's going to lose to Yoto, so I think maybe like. You think so? I don't know. I'm talking, yeah, Anderson, maybe Anderson. Like, yeah, there, there's a couple of different things he has left at light heavyweight. Maybe yep. Glover, they throw him Glover. There's some things he got left at light heavyweight, so I don't think he's moving anytime soon. And even if he moves, like, people act like he's going to move and stay there. If John Jones moves up and starts losing, he'll just move back down. Yep. And just rule over light heavyweight. <laughs> he'll just move back down. It's, just, it's not, even, not even an issue, so. 
Well, the the Bellator saga with the UFC took a took a turn to to where this is going to get a little crazy because they announced that Randy Couture signed a deal with Spike TV to do multiple projects with Spike and Bellator. He's going to coach a Bellator reality series that's going to start shooting in February. So obviously, this creates even more tension because the deal was done in December, and you know he's been an analyst a couple of times already. In between that. Yeah, I mean, they are independent contractors, so he could do that. Excuse me. Yeah, he it's could a... do that, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this uh, Randy Couture has already shown that he honestly doesn't give that big a fuck about the UFC. Like, he nope. left while being a champion, and he's left multiple times. Like, he popped up in EA Sports MMA. What the month. <laughs> yeah, like, he he's, he's going to do whatever the hell he cares to do. Uh I mean, I don't know what Bellator's reality show is even going to look like. I mean, if it has coaches, I hope it's not an Ultimate Fighter involved. I hope First not. First of all, UFC is going to sue the shit out of them if they do that. Yep, for intellectual properties. They will sue the hell out of you, like instantaneously. So I wonder, I'm wondering what they're going to do with this reality show and if it's even going to be worth watching. But, um, you know... Um, I don't know. It's, it's it's really not that huge a deal to me that Randy Couture left. It doesn't surprise me. The thing with me though is is Randy Couture really that relevant to MMA today? Like like are people out here really looking for Randy Couture stuff? Like I don't know anybody that is. I think Randy Couture. Like, I mean, he's a legend and all that, but he's just. He's Randy Couture has a lot to give the sport as a trainer. He has a lot to give the sport as an analyst. He he has things that he can still do, and and not for nothing, dude. I think if Randy Couture threw on a pair of trunks and went out there and fought. He could still whoop a lot of ass. So, you know, he it's like... He could win in, like, heavyweight tournament. He could. He could. You, <laughs> he could legit win in, like, heavyweight tournament. He could go in there and clown their entire company. Yeah, if he really wants to, you can go in there and win your light heavyweight tournament at, like, 50. Well, which says a lot about your light heavyweights. There you go. But not for nothing, a Randy Couture-King Mo match would, would be nice. That would be a nice payday. Yeah, or they can put Randy Couture against uh, Steven Seagal. So Steven Seagal was talking shit about Randy Couture. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see that. But um, <laughs> here, this bit of news I know is going to piss you off. Dana White talking about looking for 115-pound fighters went on a scouting trip to Mexico, saying Mexico is the new Brazil. Um, I figured this would upset you because clearly, you know, we need flyweights, and you out there looking for 115-pounders. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> like who, who's out here even fighting at 115 pounds though. I don't like, know. That's the, like I mean, maybe in Shudo, but like, ain't, no, nobody's out here looking for the 115 pounders. Like, <laughs> barely anybody was caring about the flyweights. I mean, I've always enjoyed flyweights. You are, have to look really, really hard to find strawweight fighters. Seriously, really, really, really hard. Like nobody cares about the strawweights. No one's going to care for a while. I know why they want to do it, um, because, you know, in Mexico, you know, the smaller weight classes and boxing and everything are a big deal in Mexico, and that's a legit reason to do it, but, like, who who you going to have at 150 pounds? There's, there's not going to be very many fighters at 115 pounds. Oh, I not. agree. So I, I just don't understand it. Yeah, they should pad They should pad that flyweight division first, man, before going out there scouting 115s. I mean, I understand what he wants to do, but it's like... You got a lot of TV time, and you still can barely manage it 
to to add another weight class to the mix, and you still got the women that you got to build up. Which they they haven't even scheduled another fight for until after this Ronda, until they know if this Ronda Rousey thing works out. So it's it's crazy to me that they're even thinking about the hundred hundred fifteen pound division. Like nobody's looking for that. Man, mm, calm down with that nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> well. On the, on the strike force side of things, a lot of these guys are already starting to make their presence felt. Josh Thompson coming to the UFC to take on Nate Diaz, which is going to be a nice little fight, especially because, you know, Josh Thompson has already some pre-existing issues with, with that camp, obviously with Gilbert Melendez. Um, but him and Nate Diaz can, has fight of the night potential, has tremendous, tremendous mainstream appeal because those guys, that, that that's easy beef right there to build up. Yeah, that, that should be a really, really good fight. I'm not sure if it's actually beef because I believe they've all trained together before or something. So I, I don't remember exactly. I mean, I have well, to manufactured beef. <laughs> yeah, I have to go back and watch like the whole conversation of why Kevin Melendez was all mad at Josh Thompson, but outside of having to fight him. But um, um, yeah, that should be a really, really good fight. I mean, I haven't, I haven't even seen Josh Thompson fight since I think when he fought Kawajiri in Japan. Right, I saw his. I saw his fight with Gilbert Melendez. He looked, he looked all right. You know, he fought when he fought in May. He lost the rematch, and um, you know, then he was booed when he won via split decision. I mean, it, you know, he ended his run in Strike Force ten and four. When he was in the UFC, he was in there. He was two and one. It's not. I, I think he he has great potential in that division, and I think he's one of those guys that you can market. If marketed correctly, you can you can make him one of those guys that could represent that division too. Yeah, I mean, as long as you don't let him talk about politics. No, 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 no politics. No, no, no. Psycho conservative. Yeah, chill, like, chill. No, don't, don't, <laughs> don't let him talk nothing about politics. But, um, you know, um, I mean, you know, you mark him as a good fighter. I mean, he, I mean, at one time he was one of the two best lightweights of the world. Like when it was him and Eve's, um, Eve's Edwards. Like they were the two best lightweights in the world. Like at one time, until so he got, you know, his head kicked off and. <laughs> or running away from you, Edwards. Uh, leave but, leave him know, alone. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, those, those are. I mean, he 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 can be a really great uh, ambassador to the sport if they if if given an opportunity. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing him him uh, fight um, Nate. See if he win win or lose. I think he he'll be a good good dude in the sport uh, to have in the UFC. Well, another another guy making his debut. Right away, UFC 159, Pat Healy taking on Jim Miller in Jersey. That should be a great fight. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a problem for multiple reasons. Not only that, but in addition to that, now ESPN is saying Bisping and Allen Belcher at 159. That should be a good fight too. I mean, not not as much as it would have been if they had both won their last fights, but. That should be a really good fight, just just to see, just to see like that. That should be a good fight. Yeah, that cards coming together nicely, man. And then there's verbal agreements for Czech Congo Roy Nelson. You know that's going to be a war. And then Vinny Magalesh pretty much booked himself his fight with Phil Davis. So 159 is going to be a solid, yeah, solid buy. Huh? That Vinny Magalesh is about to get his ass whooped. Dang, dang, the fight. Hey, I don't even understand why he decided that was a good idea to be calling out Phil Davis. Like, no, well, he was just like, you know, uh, BJJ superior to wrestling. I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> okay. 
We'll, 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 okay. we'll find out when somebody gets carted out of there in April. Yeah, I, that's going to be interesting to watch. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Bellator next week is going to be serious too. Marlon Sandro's coming back. They're going to do the semi, uh, the featherweight tournament opening round. Mitch Jackson's taking on Mike Richmond. Um, Fabricio Guerrero, he's taking off. Uh, wow, this guy's name is Mago Medrazul. Jesus. <laughs> But yeah, and these Russian dudes. Yeah, and uh, Miguel Falcao and Alexander Shlanko, vacant middleweight title fight. Yo, they're giving away great fights on free fight. TV. I mean, they really have no choice but to, which, which is something that Spike got kind of upset with the UFC towards the end of their uh, their tenure. Like, the UFC wasn't giving them title fights. Well, yeah, Bellator now. They have yeah. nowhere else to put their title fights. So they're going to all be on your network. <laughs> well, the, the last two two bits of MMA news to close things out, obviously, Overeem is, you know, Dana White said that if Overeem beats Bigfoot, title shot is imminent for him, you know, him and Kane, which, you know, we've already we've already laughed about the fact that he will probably run through Bigfoot Silva unless, you know, and not even because people are like, oh, well, if it goes to the ground, it's like, Alistair Overeem has tapped dudes out on the ground. It's been a while, but yeah. that's not that's not saying that he can't. <laughs> The vast, people don't realize the vast majority of his wins are actually about submission. And, and not only that, but if he gets you, if he gets that giant cranium in a head and arm triangle choke, it, it, you're not coming back. <laughs> There's no coming back for you. <laughs> uh, one of the, the terrible things about having a head that damn big is the fact you can't move it. He's yep. going to get hit. He's going to get knocked out. It's, it's not going to. This fight is not getting past the first round. Like, I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me. If Bigfoot win, like I wouldn't be like, oh my god, that was the biggest upset ever. Like it's heavyweight MMA, like anything can happen. But Bigfoot has head movement like Stephen Hawking. (laughs) Yeah, like he's gonna probably get hit with one of the giant fists of Alistair Overeem or a knee or some other giant part of Alistair Overeem and just fall down. That's front and sections. That's probably what's gonna happen. Well, the the thing that gets me with this last bit of news to to close things out, Dana White saying. That if Rashad beats Nogueira this weekend, that he could drop down to 185 and fight Anderson. What the hell logic is that? <laughs> Basically, I've heard I've heard people like uh, I think Rashad alluded to it, but I don't think Rashad ever straight up like, hey, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go fight uh, Anderson Silva, but. I would like to see the fight just to, to see what Rashad looks like at 185, but I wouldn't. I would have made him fight Chris White. Like I would have made Rashad fight a 185 fight. Coach. Yes, just one. Just you one. You got to be against somebody that great. Just just one. Just one. You should know Kami. You should Paul Harris. Like anyone. Like just just someone. Like just to see what he looks like at 185. But, Rashad Hector Lombard there. Like. Yeah, I mean, Hector Lombard. Or <laughs> Hector Lombard. Like. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, like, somebody like that, throw him in there like that, it's just to see what he looks like. But, I mean, I don't have a huge issue with the fight, per se. I just would be hesitant if I was Rashad to just, hey, the first time I'm ever cutting the 185, I'm going to fight the greatest 185 fighter ever. Oh, he's like, pulling. I, I would be hesitant. He's he's kind of using the chail the chail logic. 
And Dana White, Dana White said it. He's like, I would consider Rashad if Rashad won on Saturday night and wanted to go to 185. We would consider that. And and the saving grace in that is that Weidman is injured. So not for nothing, you get Anderson in there. You get a nice little money fight for Anderson because you know Anderson's fighting to get paid at this point. Like he's not even fighting for the challenge yet. Like he's like, all right, I thought I'd fight another dude at 185. Yeah, sure. Who you got? <laughs> Just not Chris Weidman. <laughs> I, I like how he always does that too. He'll be like, "Yeah, I'll fight anybody, just not that guy." He's not ready. <laughs> calling out Kung Lee and all these other random dudes. Who Kung Lee? Why are you calling out Kung Lee? Not, don't get me wrong. That'd be that'd be a crazy fight to see, but that's not you know that's a fight that on from a money standpoint you'd want to see just because you're like, all right, either Kung Lee's gonna come out and throw some real crazy kick. And catch Anderson out of nowhere. Anderson's just going to come in there and plow through him, which is fine. But it's like the guys he's calling out are just the most random guys. It's like I mean, Weidman. Perfect. Weidman has the record, dude. Like, like, come on. I mean, your saving grace is that he's injured, and obviously the cash fight would be the Rashad fight because Anderson Silva is going to look at it like, you know what? Maybe if I fight Rashad, it'll give me an idea of what it would be like to fight Jones. Which is which is a terrible lot, which is terrible logic. But I'm just looking at it from yeah. that standpoint. I'm just looking at it from that standpoint, just for, you know, from a from a semi stylistically type of a background. If that is his logic, that is that is that they fight completely differently. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Anderson. Again, Silver just doesn't want to fight Chris Wyman. Nope. At the moment, like, and I don't even think it's it's not fear. It's just like I don't. Care to fight this dude? I just think that he feels that he that Weidman's a can. Like I just don't care. He he feels that Weidman is a can. That's that's he just doesn't want to say that. But he's like this dude is no like I don't don't know if he feels he's a can. Not a can like that, but a can in name. To fight this disadvantage. Well, yeah, in in name, right? And also, like, why why am I fighting this dude that doesn't have a name that um only. Doesn't have a name and is an extremely disadvantaged fighter, disadvantaged uh, skill set for me. Like, why am I fighting this dude when I can possibly lose this fight to nobody? Like, I'm not going to take that fight. Like, no. that's basically what Anderson's thinking. Because I don't think Anderson. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Anderson doesn't want to lose. But if he was to lose to like a Bashad or somebody, I don't think it would be like as terrible a thing if he was to lose to a Chris Wyman. I don't know, man. I just think I just think that the logistics in that it, it like I said, it almost feels like they're like, yeah, all right, you know, we'll let you, we'll let, we'll we'll give it to Rashad. But they're looking at it from what I was saying, just how much money can they get out of Anderson for that fight, and how much money can they get him for that fight? And like I said, that'd be a solid buy rate. It would be a solid buy rate for yeah. them. So it, they're looking at it, and and that's just a terrible way when you're making your matches just based on the dollar signs. Because yeah, that's great. But, you know, Weidman has a solid case. Like I said, the only yeah, reason no, I mean, that he I, wouldn't I would, fight if, that if, if is because he's me, injured. I would give it to Weidman. Oh. The only yeah, reason he's not fighting because he's would, injured. I would make him fight Weidman. Yep. Yeah. Like, from a, from a sports perspective, I mean, he should fight Weidman. There you go. But, they know, I mean, and they allow him to make his own fight, so he's probably not going to fight Weidman. <laughs> That sucks, man. Weidman, Weidman's going to have to wait for him to either lose to Rashad so he can fight Rashad, which, you know, the the probability, I'd say maybe, maybe 20, 80, 80, 20, you know, 
with Rashad being the 20 on that end. But you never know, man. He, he, Rashad could come out there. Rashad got, got, got nice hands, you know. He could come out there and tag him real quick, use the, use the Chael Sonnen offense, come in there and just, and just rush him real quick, catch him off guard. Yeah, no, I mean, though I don't think he would beat uh, Anderson but Rashad has a clear path to victory. Yep. You know, take him down, beat him up on top, it's possible. And I don't think he'd, I don't think he'd get tapped out um, like um, Rachel did. But, you know, it, it's it's interest, it would be an interesting style to see. It would be a very, very interesting style to see. Oh, there you have it. That wraps up this week's MMA segment. Uh, Ben's fighter of the month will be up probably tomorrow, right? Yeah. Yep. It'll be to you probably. Yeah, I'll send it to you tomorrow morning. There you go. You can follow Ben on Twitter at blackout89. Also make sure to check out the three Kings podcast on YouTube. Uh, I got to commend you guys making the jump to Uvu. It looked pretty good. You guys had some, some little, some little snags on the audio, but it wasn't too bad. I think it was just a matter of working the bugs out, but that format works for you guys. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're trying to fix up that, that audio because I know like people don't want to hear weird noises in the background and echoey sounds, so we're trying to fix up the audio. Yeah, the audio the audio first and foremost, dude. Like People can kind of get past a sketchy picture, but if the audio is suspect, you know how that goes. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming in and giving me the assist this week, and I will catch up with you later. All right, man. Peace. Peace. All right, that was Ben. You can see all of Ben's content on MyTakeRadio.com. Follow him on Twitter at Blackout89. I got to take a moment give a shout-out to those that are listening in Mixler. I see a couple of people's uh, little messages popped up. Uh, Andrew Zarian, uh, Colm, uh, culmination from T4 Show. Appreciate you guys tuning in on the Mixler side of things. The only reason I'm not in that chat is because the audio automatically plays, and I tried to do that earlier, and it was bleeding into the current audio, but I do see you guys and I see your commentary in there. Um, switching gears out of MMA, let's get into wrestling. We got a lot of stuff to cover, and I haven't used this clip in a while, and I was wondering why the segment sounded so strange, and it was because this guy was missing. So let's get into some wrestling. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! All right, let's get into uh, the Royal Rumble first and foremost. And before I go through some of the matches and share my thoughts on it, I got to tell you guys, I actually did something I had we hadn't done in a while. Got to watch a pay-per-view with a group of people. And I've realized that watching pay-per-views with a solid group of wrestling fans just makes it infinitely more enjoyable. Uh, we hooked up with Andrew Zarian from GFQ, um, Josh Coleman, culmination from T4 Show, uh, Rock from Lunatic Radio, a couple of Andrew's friends, and we just sat there, me and the missus. We had a lot of laughs. Royal Rumble was made 10 times more enjoyable hanging out, sitting with them, shooting the shit. 
Um, Andrew talked about it today on Mat Men, which, like I said, you can catch Thursdays at 6 on the GFQ Network. And the funny thing was that usually I watch pay-per-views. Most times I watch them on a stream. Very rarely do I part with the money unless it's one of the big four. And even then, the matches really got to grab my attention. Otherwise, like I said, I'll I'll stream if I got if I really 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 want to watch it live, or I'll wait and I'll watch a, a, a torrent later on, you know, for show prep. But overall, that aspect made the Rumble infinitely more enjoyable. Now, for, as for the Rumble itself, obviously, if you read Quark's buried, Quark liked the Rumble, and then that's fine. You're entitled to, to to that opinion. And there were facets of the Rumble I did like. But there were also a lot of things that really, really, really bothered me. First off, obviously, on the pre-show on YouTube, you had Antonio Cesaro defending his United States Championship against The Miz. This is one of the things that that bothers me with WWE's pay-per-view logic. It's the fact that you're watching a pay-per-view to watch big matches and to watch titles get defended. And to relegate the uh, uh, a title that for all intents and purposes, much like the IC belt, those guys should be bona fide number one contenders to the pre-show is a travesty. If you wanted to put something on the pre-show and, and you know, it, it's going to sound sexist and, and fucked up, sue me. You should have put that women's match on the pre-show. That way you could have got the, the match with Tamina and Caitlin out of the way. And you would have kind of started getting the crowd ready and that would have been that, and it would have been on YouTube, and people would have checked it out. But no, you put a, a workhorse like Cesaro on there with The Miz. They got ample opportunity to deliver a solid match to a, a, a pay-per-view audience, and we don't get the privilege of enjoying that. On the contrary, we get to watch Del Rio and Big Show, which I'll share my thoughts on that in a moment. And honestly, you could have really done that match on pay-per-view, it was, it was a, the match roughly was about eight minutes. You mean to tell me you guys didn't have eight minutes of pay-per-view time for a title match? Come on. One thing out of that match that I noticed, the Miz looked like he genuinely hurt his knee. If he didn't, then he did a tremendous job selling because it really looked like he hurt himself, especially when he popped up later on in the evening. Cesaro, as usual, continues just delivering great matches. He got his um, neutralizer to get the win at, like I said, at roughly around eight minutes, the match was. That's what a lot of people in their write-ups are saying. It was about seven and a half to eight minutes of, of wrestling. So, to, to again, not to put that on the pay-per-view, a travesty. Now, Del Rio and the Big Show's match was, the, the crowd was really into it. They're into Del Rio's gimmick. They're into his face turn, and that's fine. I have no problem with that. Obviously, you're in Arizona. You still have a strong Hispanic audience over there, which works. And they're very vocal for Del Rio. And yeah, you can say it's the race card being played to get the the brown money. But let's be honest. Who else are you going to give the belt to on the SmackDown side besides Ziggler cashing it in and Sheamus? From the heel side, maybe Barrett if you wanted to give him the rub. But seriously, putting the belt on the big show is, is, is sleeping pill worthy. Now, for the match itself, there were actually a couple of solid spots, um, especially, uh, you know, the choke slam off the lights through the table. That was a nice spot. Del Rio's head bounced off the mat, uh, bounced off the stage a little bit. So I'm sure he definitely was rattled. Now, the ending of the match with the duct tape, you know, where Big Show got duct taped to the ropes and he couldn't get up. I, I just felt that was very. I understand they wanted to borrow a little bit of Eddie Guerrero's lie, cheat, and steal. 
but it just looked it looked childish. It looked foolish, especially when your when your champion has to resort to that to beat that guy. I would have rather the the fight escalates to the point where, like I said, and we were joking about this, Del Rio gets in his car and just hits the big show with his car. Fuck it. That would have at least looked cool, and people are like, "Oh man, that was that was badass." You know, he used uh, the things he's known for to get the victory. You're talking about a guy who's supposed to be a Mexican aristocrat, a rich guy. Rich people don't know about fucking duct tape. Ricardo Rodriguez knows about duct tape. Del Rio doesn't know about duct tape. If we're sticking within the confines of the gimmick, honestly, I would have rather that. I would have rather him come out. You don't have to use like a super expensive car, maybe, you know, maybe a, a BMW 7 Series or or a, a nice little Benz and just just hit the big show with it. You guys can stage that well. I mean, if Del Rio can run over Santa Claus, he can just as easily hit the big show with his car. The shit will work. Simple as that. But it, it is what it is. It, it was pretty much angle advancement, which I'll discuss for Monday. On the flip side... The ending for the tag team match, I really thought that the Rhodes Scholars were going to get the belts. I thought um, Tom Selleck and Genius 2.0 were going to get the belts off of Team Hell No, but I guess they still feel that those guys still have the juice to get the crowd behind them just a little bit more, making them a little bit more dysfunctional. That's fine. But I thought they were going to really take the gamble, put the belts on the Rhodes Scholars, and then break up Team Hell No and let them go their separate ways, because honestly, I miss Daniel Bryan in the championship scene, whether it's in in the U.S. or IC title scene or, or in the world title scene, I miss that. Same thing with Kane. Those are guys that could still really do damage in the mid-card. They did their part to help reinvigorate the tag team division, but I think giving the straps at this point to the Road Scholars and letting them continue to rebuild that division would have been the just the right thing to do. Maybe they'll drop him at the chamber, but I just felt that that would have been the better course of action with the way these the storyline is played out. But I guess they feel that they, it, it's worth keeping them together just a little bit longer. As for the Rumble itself, the Rumble itself was, and, and it was funny because we joked about this, there was a lot of laying down. Chris Jericho obviously coming back was a nice big surprise. Very cool. The crowd popped monstrously for him when he came back. They just erupted. As soon as those lights went out, he came out with that glowing jacket. People just went fucking crazy, which is exactly what what you want when you watch the Royal Rumble. When those lights go out and that person, that surprise entrant comes in, you want to really, really enjoy that. And Jericho did that. It was was good. He looked good. He definitely got winded. There were a lot of rest periods for Jericho in the match, but he was in there a long time. Him and Ziggler did did a great job working their previous angle in this match, and it really kind of brought things full circle. Of course, all the usual guys, um, Kofi had his crazy spot with the chair, Santino, I'm surprised because he had that neck injury, Um, the Godfather got eliminated without even really getting involved in the match, it was nice to see the Godfather's appearance, but again, there's other guys that probably could have done a little bit more that you could have used, obviously Goldust, the the crowd popped big for Goldust. Him and Cody Rhodes had a really, really nice exchange. And I honestly think that there's potential for a very, very solid feud there. Goldust is still a good worker that can go out there and keep your mid-card active. I'm not telling you to go out there and put him in, in the Tourette's gimmick again, but g- give the guy a shot. I think he still 
can can breathe some life into that mid-card division, which is kind of floundering right now because a lot of the guys that you expected, those steady hands, they're injured. You know, Tyson Kidd is injured. Or, you know, you've, you've moved the Miz down to the mid-card. You got Barrett. Uh, this guy, Bo Dallas from NXT that they brought up, maybe him. But the mid-card needs a couple of experienced hands to kind of round things out. And seeing Goldust in there and seeing the crowd pop for him, it works. It really works. Obviously, the foregone conclusion, John Cena won the Rumble, which, you know, we, we saw it. And personally for me, I just felt that what they teased earlier in the night with Ziggler possibly winning the Rumble and then having the guaranteed title shot plus the money in the bank would have been a nice way for him to either win both belts or just throw a monkey wrench in the division and make people just really guess as to where things were going to go. But it was just very, very predictable at the end with him and Ryback. I knew they weren't going to give it to Ryback, especially when there's a lot of rumors saying that Ryback is destined to get the Money in the Bank briefcase at the Money in the Bank that they either are going to do at WrestleMania or at the next Money in the Bank pay-per-view. One way or the other, Ryback is getting that briefcase is, is the general consensus. The way I feel about it is Ziggler would have been a good guy to win. Um, even even Orton and have him challenge Del Rio, who would have in turn lost the belt to Sheamus, which again is something that they've been teasing. Like, like that kind of stuff. But the John Cena win and the crowd just loathed that outcome. They just booed the shit out of him. And it was it was insane because it's like, dude, this isn't heat. This isn't good heat. This is heat that people are just tired of your shit. That's really what it was. Like, like creative team, Vince McMahon, take note. We're not booing you because you're an effective bad guy. We're booing you because we're sick of the same shit and the same outcomes. That's really what it was. But again, we already know that they got the money on the face of the company and the outcome was pretty much put it put it this way the outcome was obvious by the time we got to about 25 or 26 by then we were kind of like eh you know maybe maybe scene is going to come out later on or and that's how it went i'm, I'm honestly like i said the outcomes i had would have worked a little better but clearly once in a lifetime is about to become twice in a lifetime which, speaking of, CM Punk and The Rock had great storytelling in that match. Uh, CM Punk, the en- the entrances were very, very, very strange. Uh, the way they were done. Because the champion is supposed to come out last. CM Punk came out first. I don't know why they did that. Uh, also, one thing that we observed while we were watching it, you know, The Rock's daughter was in attendance. And whenever the camera went to his to his mom and his daughter... His daughter definitely was hidden off camera. She either stood behind The Rock's mom or she angled herself. So, I mean, obviously, probably The Rock wants to keep that private. Maybe she doesn't want to be on TV. Who knows? But it was just something that was definitely uh, noteworthy. As for the match itself, there was good psychology. Um, The uh, Spanish announce table spot was just a fucking disaster because The Rock is like three people put together. So to think that him and and CM Punk were going to make that work was ridiculous. And honestly, I think The Rock got hurt in that spot just because of the way that that the movement was after that. Now, of course, The Shield couldn't interfere, but the lights went out and The Shield interfered anyway. And now before anybody says, oh, how do you know it was The Shield? 
people that were using flash photography for the benefit of those with flash photography in the, in the, in the words of edging Christian posted pictures on Instagram, on Twitter, all over the place. And who do you see? Good old Dean Ambrose in the flash, grabbing the rock, setting him up to have him power bomb through the table by um, Roman Reigns. So come on, man. I, I understand you got to suspend some disbelief, but unless it was Brock Lesnar and even then it would be a stretch, you knew the Shield was going to get involved. So obviously with the clusterfuck of an ending with CM Punk winning, Vince comes out, Rock restarts the match, beats CM Punk with the people's elbow, which at, at first glance I saw and I'm like, wow, they really jobbed CM Punk out to the people's elbow and it was weird because an interesting article came out earlier today that kind of explained the logistics of that. And I'm going to share it with you guys and feel free to either in the chat or on the fan page, let me know, let me know what you guys think, because I think that the way, the way that that went down and the logic behind it, it almost feels like it's a little too phony, but who knows? Anyway, Switching gears before we get into the other news, I wanted to talk about Raw. Fast forward to Raw Monday night, and um, we got Cesaro, Orton, The Miz was a special guest referee. Solid little match between them. I think that there's really potential there for a nice little feud or even a triple threat for the U.S. Championship. The all, all odds right now are on Randy Orton turning heel, heading into Mania, and like I said, working the pre- working a uh, program with Sheamus. But I think that the Potential for a feud between Cesaro and Orton would be very good. And honestly, Cesaro can carry most of that feud because Randy Orton is boring as shit on the mic. So it was it was a nice little opener. I was I was cool with it. No problem. Obviously, capitalizing off of the momentum from the rumble, we got Wade Barrett, Bo Dallas. Um, like I said, this was and I ugh, excuse me. I forgot to mention it was uh Raw Roulette. So Wade Barrett chose his opponent, but he called out Bo Dallas. Bo Dallas gets the shock, uh, one, two, three, kid-style roll-up on Wade Barrett. Wade Barrett goes crazy. Bo Dallas celebrates. I'm sure that's exactly where that's going. Maybe they want to start uh, building Bo Dallas, maybe give him the IC belt, much like they did with uh, Santino and with Carlito when they first debuted, that they put the belts on them immediately. We'll see We'll see if that's a, a smart course of action, but if it, if it leads to Wade Barrett moving up into the upper card, uh, making his presence felt in the in the heavyweight title picture, then you know what? It's not such a bad idea. John Cena and Cody Rhodes was practically a glorified squash. Uh, the only selling point of it, obviously, was the Shield coming out and just putting the boots to John Cena, which is fine. No problem with that. We got our gimmick match with Tensai and Brodus. Uh, yeah. And, of course, our body slam challenge, which... It wasn't even a challenge to the point where it was the Big Show duct taping Del Rio to the rope and beating the piss out of Ricardo Rodriguez as Del Rio yelled in Spanish and called him a son of a bitch and a dog and and, come and attack me, Big Show. Come and get me. Leave Ricardo alone. I'm like, all right, all right. Straight out of a novela on Telemundo, I'm like, oh my God, dude, are you going to start crying? Are you going to cry now? seriously it's like it went on a little longer than i would have liked and honestly the smart money and the smart thing to do would have been that when the refs cut del rio loose ziggler comes out and cashes it in or ziggler comes out smashes him with the briefcase langston tears the tape 
boom, you get the pinfall, nice little transition, Ziggler gets the belt, brings the show full circle, and it's a nice little shock moment for everybody. Obviously, you could do the rematch with Del Rio down the road, but it would have it would have made for interesting television, to say the least. We got a Las Vegas Showgirls Lumberjill match, at which point I went to the bathroom because it was a complete clusterfuck to the point where I think Michael Cole practically broke character and said, it's going to get better, folks, I promise. No, it didn't. Sorry. Rock comes out, cuts his super people's era... I'm I'm the champion promo and Punk comes out and he just he just delivers his nice psychotic promo where he's they they practically set up the rematch for the chamber so Dwayne is not defending the title in the chamber he CM Punk is giving him his rematch. Moving on, Sheamus Damian Sandow's table match was actually very good. The, these guys every time they work together in various matches, they continue to just show us shades of brilliance. Damian Sandow, definitely bona fide guy that's going to make his mark in that upper card sooner rather than later. Nice physical match, nice and brutal. Sheamus got the pin with the white noise through the table, which was which was all good. We got WWE karaoke with Zack Ryder and the Great Khali. That's that's pretty much how that went. You know what? The the snoring doesn't even justify that. It really doesn't justify it. This is pretty much what justifies that fucking segment. That was it. That was it. I understand that you want to bury Zack Ryder, but the point that you bury Zack Ryder and piss on his grave just just makes no sense. Makes no sense at this point. Just just release the guy if if you're going to job him out so poorly. Anyway, we got our strange bedfellows match with Ziggler and Jericho against Team Hell No, which was the outcome was not surprising in the least since um, Chris Jericho pretty much left Dolph Ziggler to the Wolves and Team Hell No gets the victory. We got our next inductee into the Hall of Fame, Trish Stratus, which a lot of people were kind of split on her induction, obviously because she's not old and she's not dead or et cetera, et cetera. But I honestly think that Trish Stratus had a, a a tremendous ascension. She came in as a valet. Then she was, uh, a, you know, kind of a love interest. And then she just migrated into wrestling full steam and, and delivered some very, very solid matches with a very, very good crop of divas at the time. Matches with Lita, Mickey James, Tara, Ivory, I believe, who was still there during a couple of those earlier matches. Molly Holly, you go down that list and she delivered excellent matches with all those ladies. I mean, her matches with Lita were were probably some of the most physical matches at that time. Obviously, that's changed, but I think her induction is is well-deserved. I think, if if anything, I would have probably put her and Lita in there just because of what they did for the division and the mainstreaming that was allowed to come of their ascension, so to speak. Think about it. Trish Stratus, multiple magazine covers, super blazingly hot, and she didn't abandon the company at any point. She knew that it was her time to go. She wanted to get married, start a family. She did that, but her loyalty to the company never wavered. She came back when they needed her. She did the WrestleMania shit with Snooki. There was a lot of things that really kind of validated why she should go in there. As for Lita... Lita also, she 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 has the, the makings of going in. If not this year, 
which I doubt, maybe within the next two years because she involved in tremendous, tremendous angles with the Hardy Boys, with Edge, uh, Matt Hardy, her programs with Lita, they, I mean, her programs with uh, Trish Stratus. She, she was also another, another woman that added to that division. If I can pluck out any woman out of that division that did something, I would pluck out those two, probably Molly Holly to a degree, because she added to that division. But comparing those divas to what we got now, it's, it's totally different. Totally different. And the roster is paper thin. Now, performance review time. We know what this means. Everybody assumed that, that Paul Heyman was going to get fired. But the grand revelation, first and foremost, was the fact that obviously that Brad Maddox and The Shield were aligned with Paul Heyman and CM Punk, which everybody knew. But seeing that revelation and Paul Heyman just selling it like a champion, I have a thick New York Jewish accent. That was not me. Was was complete gold. Paul Heyman sold the shit out of that angle. I lied about my, I, I lied on the souls of my parents. I lie every day of the week, except I'm not lying about this. Paul Heyman made that segment. It was, it was so well executed, so masterful that I was just, I was just dumbfounded as to where it was going to go. Cause I honestly thought that the shield were going to come out and whoop Vince McMahon's ass. I did not expect for the returning Brock Lesnar to come out and give Vince McMahon the F5 and pretty much kill him dead. And obviously, you know, the announced team, oh my God, he's an old man. What are you doing? So, you know, that, that was that was nice, a nice bit of um of a shock. But what happened was that WWE kind of spoiled it because they actually put on the site that Brock Lesnar came back before he came out. Not only that, but they also put his entrance music up right around the same time. So, you know, it spread like wildfire. I just tried not to spoil it for myself. I didn't go on Twitter or nothing. But by the time it happened, I looked at how it went down. And honestly, it, 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 for those of you that, that really don't watch social media when you're watching television, God bless you guys. Because sometimes you just, you know, you have your iPad closed by and you want to do that. But... It was it was it was all good. It was all good the way it went down. And honestly, like I said, I want to just share this with you guys so you guys can see just the the masterful work of the one and only twisted genius Paul Heyman. I want to thank you for this opportunity. To come out here and look you in the eye and settle this once and for all. Because the answer to your question, and you have every reason in the world to ask me that question, and the answer to that question is no. I have never had anything to do with Brad Maddox nor The Shield. So you're an honorable man. I'm trying to become an honorable man. And maybe I can learn from you on how to be an honorable man. I can't tell you I've been a saint. I've never been a saint in my life. But I, 
but I want to be here. And if it takes being an honorable man to be here, then damn it, that's what I'll be. Mr. Heyman, I guess maybe I want to uh, show you some footage now. And after we show you the footage, I I'd like to get your comments, if you don't mind. When CM Punk and I plucked you from obscurity, we think you're going to make it as a superstar. You're floundering in NXT, and we maneuver you to be the referee at Hell in a Cell to keep Ryback from winning the title. And we paid you handsomely. And then you kept coming back for more, and coming back for more, and coming back for more, and coming back for more. Now, when we pay the Shield to do a job, they don't keep coming back for more and coming back for more. They wait for us to come to them, and we say, we need help, and we pay the Shield. And yes, Fred, we pay the Shield more than we pay you, but the Shield is more effective at what they do than you are. Paul. Problem? Yes. Please. Please? Okay. Please. Shh. I'll, I'll leave, okay? Oh, stop. All right, I'll leave. Oh, come on. Oh, please. Shh. Take this beating like a man, Brad. Come on. You wanted an experience? Bob, just tell Bob I'm sorry. And I'll go. Brad, All right? Brad, shh. Listen to me. I want you to chalk this up to being a learning experience. Well, please. That wasn't me. You know what it's like to be falsely accused. You can relate to it. You know what I'm going through right now. That wasn't me. I have it. That is an impersonator. And doing what I might add is a poor impersonation of Paul Heyman. I am being set up because of envy and because of jealousy. Because of my success. Because of my success with ECW. Because of my success with CM Punk. Because I led CM Punk to being the... Are you trying to convince yourself or everyone else here? Ooh, was that Brad Maddox? Was that Brad Maddox? Yes, sir. Was that, that was the shield? Yes, sir, that was the shield. But that wasn't you. No, that was not Paul Heyman. Is Paul Heyman lying? There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Just Paul Heyman being being fucking awesome. And then of course, you know, just as, as Vince is getting ready to deliver the hammer. We get this. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh wait. Whoa, it is. It is. It's the beast. Brock Lesnar. Good God in heaven. What is he doing here? He quit. He quit last summer. Back. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. Brock Lesnar comes out 
gives Vince the F5, which from what I gather is to facilitate Vince being written off so he can go and get hip surgery and, of course, to bring Triple H back and set up the match with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, a match that, honestly, no one wants to fucking see. That's just my opinion. I'm sorry. But the fact the fact is that it was it was a nice way to bring Brock back. It opens up a ton of possibilities. Obviously, the Heyman family, borrowing, uh, of course, the, the terminology from the old Heenan family, is, is pretty solid right now. You got Brock, Punk, and The Shield. Maybe you still have Brad Maddox. That could have been an induction, you know, a, a, a hazing, if you will. But Heyman, Heyman has all the cards right now. And honestly, by, by putting their relationship out in the open, it poses a problem for Triple H, too. Because... You could get your ass whooped by the shield, or you can get your ass whooped by Brock Lesnar. One or the other, you can take you could take your pick. Either either way, it's it's gonna be an interesting pace for this feud if this is how it's gonna go. Honestly, I like I said, and, and I've said this on numerous shows, and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Brock and Rock makes the most sense. Maybe Cena, Taker. At Mania would have been nice, but beggars can't be choosers. Anyway, Brock Lesnar signed a brand new two-year deal, supposedly at Monday uh, at Monday Night Raw. So he is now going to be with the company through WrestleMania 31. Obviously, Brock Lesnar, dude, is the smartest guy in the game. Signs himself a nice cash cash laden contract. Does a couple of TV days, maybe one or two pay per views here and there. And the ba- and you know the mania obviously, and then he just he just chills. He gets to eat deer meat, have sex with Sable, make some more kids, and then come back, make a nice chunk of change. He gets to have sponsors on his shirts. Dude is living large, and, and he's enjoying every cent of it. Think about it. He would have been an idiot not to resign. What's he gonna do? Go back and and do MMA, and half ass it. At least doing this, he gets a nice chunk of change. Doesn't get beat up. And, you know, he gets to give us a couple of those big marquee matchups that we've wanted to see. Um, In the chat, uh, Slick said Lesnar and Ryback could happen at this point. Could. We still got the possibility of Lesnar and Taker down the road. Lesnar and CM Punk. Brock and Rock, obviously. Maybe another go around with Lesnar and Cena. Who knows? But he's signed for two years, so they're going to squeeze that nugget for all it's worth. One of the funny things I noticed, and I and I didn't catch it catch it last week, and somebody brought it to my attention, is that ESPN is doing their own WWE power rankings, and they actually put up their top five being The Rock, Alberto Del Rio, CM Punk, John Cena, and Brock Lesnar in ESPN's power rankings. Once again, the mainstreaming of wrestling and mixed martial arts is no more apparent than in situations like this, where ESPN acknowledges wrestling actively, mind you, not in a comedic or condescending way, but in a way that obviously shows that it's it's an integral part of entertainment as a whole. So, if, if you're an ESPN reader and you're a wrestling fan, float around the site. You may come across some other wrestling articles as well. While I'm on the subject of articles, I gotta talk about WWE.com's article about the top 30 ECW stars, which, as always with WWE.com, whenever they put out these lists... It raises a lot of red flags. It pisses a lot of people off. I'm going to share 
the 30 with you guys, and I'm going to obviously break it down a little bit. Number 30, Stevie Richards. Why is he at number 30? I don't fucking know. Should have been a lot higher. Obviously, BWO, Blue World Order, was a, a, a big part of ECW. Big part. And to, and to drop him down to 30, it's like, how do you have Stevie Richards under Balls Mahoney? How is that possible? Ridiculous. Balls Mahoney, obviously, 29. Al Snow, 28. Steve Carino was 27. Chris Candido was number 26. Just Incredible was 25. I expected him to be higher considering the resurgence that his character had due to Paul Heyman's creative intellect. Just Incredible ECW champion was pretty pretty solid in my opinion. Spike Dudley was 24. Lance Storm was 23. Masato Tanaka was 22. The late Eddie Guerrero was 21. Cactus Jack was 20. Tajiri was 19. Malenko was 18. The Eliminators were 17. And honestly, they should have been higher. And you also should have included the Pitbulls. You also should have included Shane Douglas. Because again, nothing beats the promo after Taz and Jerry Lawler were fighting uh, on ECW where Shane Douglas just cut an epic promo with Taz. I understand you WWE hates his fucking guts. But come on, real is real. You got to acknowledge the guy's body of work. Seriously. The Eliminators, like I said, you got to put them higher. You got to throw the pit bulls in there. Mike Awesome, the late Mike Awesome, was 16. Jerry Lynn was 15, should have been higher, especially with all the great matches with Rob Van Dam. New Jack was 14. Mikey Whipwreck was 13. Rhino was 12. He could have been a little higher. The late Bam Bam Bigelow was 11. Terry Funk was 10. See, Public Enemy was 9. I probably would have put Public Enemy at like 15 and then put the Eliminators, the FBI, and the Pitbulls on that list. Raven was number 8. Um, Dudley Boy, I correction, Shane Douglas was number 7. Sorry. Dudley Boys was 6. Sandman was 5. Tommy Dreamer was 4. Taz was three, Sabu was two, and Rob Van Dam was one. I feel like a complete jerk-off for going on my Shane Douglas rant because I had my cursor over his name. But yes, Shane Douglas was number seven, which which is which is fine. But like I said, you leave off the Pitbulls, you leave off the full-blooded Italians. How, how do you do that? It's it's ridiculous. You, you These were guys that were staples. Um, You leave off C.W. Anderson, who should have been in that list. Like I said, these these are the lists that that frustrate me to no end. But it was like I said, it was a travesty the way some of these guys got ranked. But what can you do? This is WWE logic at work, folks. We got a fresh new signing off the Indies as El Generico, according to PW Insider, signed a WWE contract, passed all his required medical testing, and is heading to NXT next month. Hopefully, they don't call him up as Javier Smith without a mask, and we actually get to see El Generico. They'll probably call him something else, but let's see him as a luchador and not as, you know, some regular bland nobody. El Generico has a has a huge following. If you could do it with CM Punk, you could do it with El Generico. The crowd will get behind him. You can have him work programs with Rey Mysterio, Sin Cara, any of those cruiserweight and smaller guys, and then just build it up from there. Not only that, but obviously the masks are a guaranteed cash cow. You'd be missing the boat if you didn't book him as a luchador. Simple as that. 
Anyway, as I was meant, as I said before, they were talking about the finish for the Royal Rumble CM Punk match, and you know the Wrestling Observer put this out, Raja WWE put this out. Basically, what they were saying is that the reasoning that Punk lost to the People's Elbow was to reinforce what Punk was saying about the people don't matter. So you know it's i it's iconic that the people didn't matter, but he got beat by the People's Elbow. Eh. I don't know. It kind of it kind of feels a little forced, but I can kind of see the logic. I don't know. I, no, and we we didn't even get to see a rock bottom in that match. So make of that what you will. Anyway, WWE is also super pumped that the title is going to get lots of exposure. Obviously, the Rock promoting Fast Five, Snitch, and um, GI Joe. I mean, Fast Five, Fast Six, Snitch, and GI Joe is going to get plenty of exposure for the WWE. So I guess from a business standpoint, it's a smart move, but CM Punk just works as champion. It just works. The rock doesn't need the belt. The, the, to, to the rock, the belt is a prop to CM Punk. The belt is, is crucial to, to the way the angle is progressing. But again, I don't write this shit. So I'm just a guy spew, spewing verbiage behind a microphone. Anyway, to round things out, got to talk about, the hardworking guys at Ring of Honor coming together their 11th anniversary show with some really great matches. Uh, Kevin Steen, Jay Lethal for the Ring of Honor title. A two out of three falls match with Michael Elgin and Roderick Strong, which is going to be bananas. Adam Cole is going to defend his TV title against the winner of the Top Prospect Tournament. And and uh, my favorite tag team, the American Wolves, back together, taking on a- Rocky Romero and Alex Kozlov. Do yourselves a favor. Ring of Honor pay-per-views are are extremely cheap. Buy this pay-per-view just for that match. The American Wolves are ridiculous. Ridiculous. Separate, they're solid. Obviously, Eddie Edwards and... um, Oh, how do I not... Davey Richards are, are insane. Insane separately. But together, they deliver amazing, amazing tag team wrestling. And Rocky Romero and Alex Kozlov are no slouches. So do yourselves a favor, support Ring of Honor, especially because they they, they don't have a TV deal, especially here if you're you're in New York and you got to see Ring of Honor, you got to go on YouTube, you got to find a stream, you got to go through all these nefarious means. It's like Fight Club and, and to try and, and, and see Ring of Honor. But do yourselves a favor, support this organization. They got tremendous talent there. These guys need to be seen. They need the exposure. And honestly, these are guys that may get that call up to WWE or TNA. So you might as well get familiar with them. And before you say, oh, you know, Ring of Honor is bullshit. Yes, Ring of Honor is terrible production. We got it. But they have a tremendous, tremendous roster of talented wrestlers. And all those guys that you cheer for now on WWE programming and TNA, guess what? They came from Ring of Honor. The Samoa Joes, the Daniel Bryans, the CM Punks. The Antonio Cesaros, the Cassius Onos, all Ring of Honor products. Sarah Del Rey, who hasn't been called up yet, Ring of Honor product. El Generico, Ring of Honor product. That's what I'm saying. Get yourselves acquainted. There's more wrestling programming out there besides the big two. You got Dragon Gate, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, uh, Lucha Libre USA, Ring of Honor. The list goes on. Learn about all this wrestling. Watch Puro if you can. That way you can just become a better educated wrestling fan that will appreciate not only the theatricality of the product, but the storytelling that goes into it. Seriously. 
Anyway, that's going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. Let's jump right into gaming because we got lots to discuss. Let's get this ball rolling. All right, first up, Mashable actually put out an article earlier this week that um, Medal of Honor Warfighter and Black Ops 2 have been banned for sale from Pakistan. Both games are accused of showing the country in a poor light with regards to their links with terrorism. Pakistani shopkeepers argue the game suggests that Pakistan's intelligence agency supports Al-Qaeda. Salim Mamam, president of All Pakistan CD, DVD, Audio Cassette Traders and Manufacturers Association, says, The problem is that there are things that are against Pakistan, and they have included criticism of our army. They show our country in a poor light. Obviously, both games, Medal of Honor, Warfighter, and Black Ops 2 have levels based in Pakistan. Now, here's the kicker. You don't want nobody to view your country in, 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 a, in an unfavorable light. But when you have a guy that mastermind that was the mastermind to one of the biggest American tragedies in, in, in my adult life, hiding and hanging out in your country, he walks out, goes to the store, buys some condoms to have sex with his three wives, um, orders a Big Mac, you know, makes himself a club sandwich, tans has Wi-Fi, has cable. Come on. And, he, and he's just chilling, and nobody sees him. Nobody. Hey, do you, have you guys seen Bin Laden? Nope, haven't seen him. Haven't seen him, even though the guy has this huge, huge compound in the middle of your country next to a military base, but nobody saw him. Nobody. Nobody knew he was there. Nobody knew he was hanging out. Nobody knew he was going to the store a couple of times a day, feeding chickens, Come on, really? And then you get butt hurt, you get offended because your country, your country is shown in a favorable light. That's like everybody in New York City complaining that their neighborhoods are shown in an in a in a non favorable light in Grand Theft Auto. Seriously, that's like that's like Bronx residents saying that GTA depicted their neighborhood badly, or Brooklyn residents. Give me a fucking break, man. The fuck up. Sorry that your country is a cesspool of of terrorism. We're sorry about that. And yes, our games take place in your fucking armpit of a country. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that we offend you by using real-world stuff in our games. Maybe, maybe if, if, if you guys didn't harbor a fucking fugitive, we wouldn't clown you guys so much. Come on. Stop being stop being such fucking panty wastes and suck it the fuck up. Seriously. Ah, I need a drink of water after that. <laughs> Slick isn't playing. Slick is going ham in the chat right now. But and 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 you know, Slick Slick is right. Slick is Slick says they do support terrorism. No, we aren't sorry. Slick also went on to say, I'm not fucking sorry. And yes, my thoughts are supported by MTR. I, I can't disagree with Slick. It's like, it's like the guy was hiding in your backyard. What are we going to say? It's all good. It's all right, guys. You know, we're sorry. We're sorry that we made your country look like shit. We're sorry. But you know, you had a guy that pretty much 
made the skyline of New York City completely different. There's a crater in New York City. There was a crater in New York City for most of my 20s. In 2001, I was 21. I am now 32. And there was a crater there. For my 20s, I saw a hole in the middle of my city. My father-in-law, my wife's father, talked about pulling somebody's arm out of the rubble because he worked the construction down there. Who knows if he got exposed to noxious gases and all kinds of shit. He's like, hey, I picked up a girder and somebody's arm was stuck to it. Oh, but, but you know, you're mad that we make your country look like shit. You made my city look like a war zone. Oh, but we, we can't do that for a fucking game. Get out of here. Fucking assholes. Give me a break. Alright. Gotta, gotta, gotta scale it back a bit. Let, let's talk about some, some lighter fare. Let's talk about the finalists for the 13th annual GDC Awards, which got revealed earlier this week. The award ceremony is going to be held during GDC March 27th in San Francisco, and I just want to go through the nominees. I'm sure you guys are going to have your, your commentary, and I'm sure Slick is going to definitely share his thoughts. For best audio, the nominees are Journey, Hotline Miami, Sound Shapes, Assassin's Creed 3, and Halo 4. Best debut goes to the following, Humble Hearts for Dust and Elysian Trail, Polytron Corporation for Fez, Giant Sparrow for The Unfinished Swan, which is a fantastic game. If you want to know the full details on it, make sure to look for Slick's review on MyTakeRadio.com. Subset games for FTLs fast, you know, Faster Than Light, and Fireproof Games for The Room. Best Game Design. The nominees were Dishonored, Mark of the Ninja, Spelunky, Journey, and XCOM Enemy Unknown. Best Downloadable Game. I know exactly who's going to get this. The Walking Dead, Spelunky, Trials Evolution, Mark of the Ninja, and Journey. It, it's a given that The Walking Dead is going to win that. Best Technology. Far Cry 3, Planetside 2, Halo 4, Call of Duty Black Ops 2, and Assassin's Creed 3. Best Handheld Mobile Game Nominees, Gravity Rush, Hero Academy, Sound Shapes, The Room, and Kid Icarus Uprising. Best Narrative, Spec Ops The Line, Mass Effect 3, Dishonored, The Walking Dead, and Virtue's Last Reward. The nominees for Best Visual Arts is a, is definitely a neck-and-neck neck race here. Borderlands 2, Journey, Far Cry 3, Dishonored, and Halo 4. The GDC Award for Innovation, the nominees Mark of the Ninja, Journey, Faster Than Light, The Unfinished Swan, and Zombie U. Last but not least, Game of the Year honors. Dishonored, The Walking Dead, Mass Effect 3, XCOM, and Journey. Game of the Year, probably, I'd like to say, is going to most likely go to The Walking Dead, but Dishonored has a strong case, even though I think that the sales numbers didn't add up for so many of these accolades, but everybody that I know that has played Dishonored tells me I should check it out, so, you know, it's definitely on the list for a Gamefly Q review, which, by the way, we posted already our MMA, um, Supremacy MMA Gamefly Q review, and I am now playing... Uh, Ghost Recon Future Soldier, which is surprisingly awesome. So be on the lookout for that within the next couple of days. 
For those of you chomping at the bit to play some Gears of War, you won't have to wait long. Gears of War Judgment will be releasing their demo on March 19th, and it's going to feature the Overrun mode. Um, GameStop pre-orderers are also going to get uh, they're going to get access to the demo on March 15th. Also, any multiplayer XP during earned during that demo, you'll be able to transfer to the final game if you purchase it within the first week of launch. So, if you're a Gears of War fan and you pre-ordered, you can play the demo the 15th, otherwise March 19th. The dissolving of THQ killed a lot of great development studios, but it's not just THQ and those studios that are that have shared some losses. Turns out that the Junction Point Studios that did Disney's Epic Mickey 2 are no more. Disney announced a closure um, earlier, and the rumors have been circulating for the last few days. Uh, based off that, they released the following statement. It was... It was with much sadness that we informed our teams today of changes to our games organization, which include the closure of Junction Point Studios, said a Disney spokesperson to Joystick. We're extremely grateful to Warren Spector and the Junction Point team for their creative contributions to Disney with Disney Epic Mickey and Disney Epic Mickey 2. So there you have it. No more Junction Point. What happens with Epic Mickey at this point? Who knows? But it's the it's the end of a series for all intents and purposes, which is unfortunate. I think Epic Mickey had tremendous potential to be successful on systems like the PS3 and the 360, obviously just being on the, on the Nintendo consoles. I think that was one of the things that was, you know, detrimental to the game's broader success. Honestly, I think that, you know, relegating it to the one to to the one console at the time definitely hurt it. The big news, uh, ugh, (laughs) Slick breaking my balls. He said I said Nintendo. I probably did say Nintendo. If I did, whoopsie. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, the big news today that had everybody squirting in their shorts was that Rockstar Games announced the release date for GTA 5, which is going to be September 17th. Obviously, the big news was that it was a departure from spring 2013 that everybody was counting on, now being released in September. Obviously, that this received a lot of commentary on the fan page with a lot of our fans and our staff members saying that the game would have benefited from a summer release because the summer gaming season is usually dead. Definitely agree 100% with that. Going in on September, you're getting the back-to-school crowd. You're, you're going to definitely move some units, but it's not going to be as, as strong of an insertion as during the summer or during the holiday season. So... I guess, you know, Rockstar wanted to go back in the lab, make sure that things were working up to snuff. Who knows? Maybe the, maybe they'll make sure that there aren't, that there aren't a, a million glitches or that there isn't tons of DLC that we got to pay for on the back end. Who knows? But for me, it doesn't really bother me either way. I'm still going to get GTA. I'm just bummed that I got to wait till September to play it. So, you know, make of that what you will. Slick actually just informed me that he is calling in, so I'm sure he's going to have some stuff to add, especially because he is a hardcore GTA fan. So let me just cue him up and bring him on. Slick, what's up, dude? What's up, man? I don't know, dude. I know you were extremely, extremely angry with the GTA situation. No, I wasn't angry at all. You misread. Shoot. Then let's hear it. Give me me the skinny. You know, my thing was, I would say people are stupid. (laughs) <laughs> because anybody who thought that Grand Theft Auto V would come out in the spring, 
is fucking stupid. Okay. And I even put it up. If you look historically back at the history of Grand Theft Auto since Grand Theft Auto 3, every console Grand Theft Auto game has come out in the fall, with the exception of Grand Theft Auto 4, which came out in April of 2008. And the only reason why it came out in 2008 is because it got delayed, because it was supposed to come out in the fall of 2007. It's always fucking come out in the fall. Always. The shit wasn't coming out in the spring, and especially if the trailers and the information that's come out are any indication, they need time to work on it, simply because this would be the first Grand Theft Auto that has three main protagonists and possibly three separate storylines for you to play through, which would be awesome. Well, like I, I've, I've always been a, a person that says, if you got to delay it to make it better and not make it run like shit, I'll, I'll take it. But if you're, if you're delaying it and then you're going to just nickel and dime the shit out of me for all the things that you could have added during, during that time, then, you know, the hell with you. Well, I agree with that. And despite what people said about Grand Theft Auto 4, I don't feel that Rockstar has ever nickel and dimed us on a GTA console game. And what do you call it? Um, honestly, between you and me, because Rockstar is known for fucking with people. I think this, the game was always supposed to come out in September or later. And that they said, you know, they said spring to hype it up, which, I mean, really, it doesn't even mean. Like I said in the chat, it's like you can put Grand Theft Auto out the day after the apocalypse and I'll find a way to play it. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I don't know. I mean, for, for me, like I said, it, it's a non-factor because GTA is still going to get... Still going to get purchased. That's the that's the thing. Now, like like I said, to to maximize the saturation, a summer release would have been good, just because you would have got that summer audience, especially when the summer gaming session is dead. You know that. Other than Madden, what other big games usually drop during the summer? Occasionally, they'll throw the occasional gem out there, but you know it's usually just Madden in August. June and July are dead as shit. Like, honestly, if you would have told me the game is going to be pushed to August, you still would have got a nice summer crunch in there. And you're, you're absolutely right, because I can recall, you know, my, my high school days of gaming when, like, Street Fighter Two Turbo Edition came out in the middle of summer, and it was great. There you go. But for some reason, developers don't like putting shit out there in the summer. I don't understand it. I guess... I guess they, they want to relax, too, or, you know, they just, uh, like we said, making sure their games are ready to, to come out without a bunch of glitches. But, again, I go back to Rockstar's history, which is why I think the game was always coming out in September, and they never fucking tell you unless you know somebody who works there. But look at Grand Theft Auto 3. That game came out in October of 2001. They didn't start advertising it. They literally did not put out any advertising for it until February of 2002. I'm like, the fuck this game is old. Grand Theft Auto Vice City. They started making web pages with bullshit, complete bullshit. They were just little things that, you know, 
a store you might see in a game or a commercial you might hear on the radio for a good six months or more before the game came out. Literally, just to fuck with you because they were drumming up hype for it. And even that game, they didn't really start advertising it other than on, on the internet when they did the, the Flock of Seagulls spot. That's about the only advertisement that you saw for it until, like, months after the game was out. This is true. He doesn't need it. And then, you know, Vice City, they, they went a little bit harder because, you know, you had the, the intro movie, you had the soundtrack and all the stuff that, that came out because of the, the success of the Vice City soundtrack. They, they were a little bit more open with that one. But then when you had Grand Theft Auto 4, again, you had, like, you got to look at it at the E3 the year before it came out, and then pretty much nothing until it actually came out. True. Oh, did you cut out? Oh, I think Slick cut out. We'll see if Slick can dial back in. All right. Let's see if this shit works. Can anybody hear me in the chat room? Yes? No? Maybe? Looks like, all right, here we go. Okay, before before I go and finish the show, finish the segment, allow, allow me to share with you about our provider, which I'm sure um, Andrew and Josh Coleman are going to have a, a blast with this. We, play, we pay Blog Talk Radio for this service. They emailed me today saying, hey, you know, we got this brand new spiffy, well-designed website. And I looked at it, and it navigates nice, and it's real pretty and easy on the eyes. But what good is is a beautiful website when you disconnect my show midway through? You assholes. This is what you do. We pay you, and you disconnect my shit halfway through. Because, you know, your your service, it's like, it's like taking shit and spray painting it with gold. It's still shit. It's like our audio quality. I have to change, swap out our shows for reasons like that. Because their audio quality is the equivalent of a CB radio with Morse code. But, but, but we pay for this shit. And you can spruce up the website, but you can't spruce up your infrastructure. And then what happens? I look like a fucking jerk off doing my show. There you go. I, I think I think this this the only way to sum up my feelings is this. Oh my god! Ah! 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 Oh, that's better. Ah! 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 Seriously, that's how I feel. That that's really that sums it up quite nicely. Thank you, Slick. Anyway, as I was saying before we got cut off, EA third quarter garbage pulled Medal of Honor off the sh- out of rotation. Uh, Battlefield three though, two point nine million subscribers and it's earned the company one hundred eight million dollars. Gee, I wonder what we're going to be seeing next year. Perhaps Battlefield four. Perhaps. Anyway. We got to close out the gaming news this week with a bit of news that 
revealed itself earlier this afternoon, picked up steam. Everybody's going crazy. There's panic in the streets. It's for a Sony hype video that was put out. Nice little trailer they put out for an event that they are doing February 20th. Now, obviously all signs point to the PlayStation 4. The Wall Street Journal is going as far as saying that the PlayStation 4 will be announced February 20th and will be released later this year. Excuse me. The Wall Street Journal also went on to add that they're going to add more social gaming aspects to the PS4 and they were originally going to ditch uh discs and only go for game downloads but obviously internet connections cannot handle that load so we're still going to be seeing discs but i will tell you this if sony announces the ps4 on the 20th xbox is going to have to play catch up especially if there's if the ps4 is just ridiculous and you know on par with skynet at this point or uh, on par with any high-end pc so we're going to see what the deal is like i said the video's out there I was going to put it on the site, but I haven't found a good quality one that I can source appropriately. If I find it, I'll share it. If not, you guys know the deal. Google, YouTube, whatever. See it for yourselves. See if the if the rumor of the PlayStation 4 resonates with the video. If so, come February 20th, when we do the show on the 21st, we're going to have a lot to talk about. All right, that wraps up this travesty of a gaming segment ruined by our friends at Blog Talk Radio. Anyway, let's get into some entertainment news. open up the entertainment news this week with some marvel news obviously we know that marvel is currently working on its second phase of films including iron man 3 captain america and the winter soldier guardians of the galaxy avengers possibly another hulk movie which i doubt anyway we're not even past phase two and we're already talking about phase three which is kevin fage said that phase three is going to involve doctor strange getting his own film also, Ant-Man being part of Phase 3. So, thus far, Doctor Strange and Ant-Man will be part of Phase 3 of the Marvel Film Universe. I'm curious to see what they're going to do with Doctor Strange. Obvi- obviously, you've got to include Dormammu in there because he's probably one of the coolest characters. And if done right, he would translate well onto screen. Um, ah, yes. Thank you, Waffles. There is another Thor movie coming out. Yes, Thor The Dark World is part of Phase 2 as well. Thank you for that. Ant-Man... I'm still not sold on the whole Ant-Man concept, especially for a whole standalone movie, unless it ends with him creating Ultron, which would be kind of cool. Maybe set up an Avengers three, have Ultron be the bad guy. But I'm not, I'm not sure about a, a, a whole, you know, 90 minutes, a two hour film about a guy who can shrink and talk to ants. Obviously that's more on par with a cartoon or something of that nature. Not a full big screen production, but, who am I to judge? And some other Marvel and some uh, excuse me. I guess the Monster Energy plus the giant double gulp of soda are wearing off. Anyway, Brian Singer said that there's going to be some other returning cast members for X-Men's Days of the Future Past, including Anna Paquin, Ellen Page, and Sean Ashmore. So there you go. You're going to get to see those guys 
return, obviously, Anna Paquin was Rogue. Ellen Page was... Who the hell was Ellen Page in X-Men? Shit. Give me an assist here, guys. Who was Ellen Page in X-Men? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Anyone? (laughs) I have no idea. Anyway, Sean Ashmore, if I remember correctly, was Iceman. No idea who Ellen Page was, though. Ah, Ellen Page was Kitty Pride. Yes. There you go. So we get to see all those characters from the earlier films return in Days of the Future Past. So not a, not a bad not a bad deal. I think they're bringing it together quite nicely. I think that this film has tremendous potential. Obviously, uniting both sets of cast members from First Class and from the X Men films. Ugh. I just think it's going to be too much. It's going to be an overabundance of characters, and that may actually hinder it to some respect. But We'll see what happens. Honestly, I think we're we're at the st- we're at the juncture where we'll take anything with regards to X Men. Let's talk. Bo- let's talk box office totals because, shockingly enough, ah yes. For those of you that heard a beep, that was some sort of a Facebook notification. I don't understand how that came through, but let me close out my uh, what you call it, my Chrome, so you guys can uh, not hear those notifications. Anyway. As I was saying, box office totals, Hensel and Gretel, Witch Hunters was number one. I don't understand how people parted with their money to see that. It's like, it's like Van Helsing all over again. Mama was number two. Silver Linings Playbook was number three. Zero Dark Thirty was number four. Parker debuted at number five, seven million dollars. Django Unchained was six. Movie 43 was seven. The fact that people paid money for that steaming pile of shit boggles my mind gangster squad was eight broken city was nine and lay miserable was 10 now i'm sure slick is working on a piece with regards to this obviously we all know that the cartoon network is going to get rid of young justice and green lantern but get this they're getting rid of those two cartoons and then they release this announcement Cartoon Network officially announced today that Teen Titans Go and Beware of the Batman. Well, well, Beware the Batman, depending on how you how you write it, because it's written both ways here, will debut on the network in 2013. Teen Titans Go will debut April. It's going to feature Robin, Starfire, Raven, Beast Boy and Cyborg. The show is described as a character driven comedy. I have I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea what that even means. It's going to be a character-driven comedy. And it's going to focus on the funny business that happens between saving the world and living together as teenagers without adult supervision. The other show, Beware the Batman, will debut in the summer, and of obviously it's a new take on the Dark Knight franchise, obviously incorporating Batman's core characters with a rogues gallery of new villains not previously seen in animated form. Uh, described with backup from ex-secret agent Alfred and lethal swordstress Katana, the Dark Knight faces the twisted machinations of Gotham City's criminal underworld led by the likes of Anarchy, Professor Pig, Mr. Toad, and Magpie. I have no idea how that's going to work, but I just, I just see it as just another way to crank out more toys. Deep Dive Batman, Arctic Suit Batman, Hot Dog Vendor Batman... Morocco wearing Batman, Deadpool disguised as Batman. Come on, that's all it is. Fucking cash, 
cash grab out the ass. <laughs> Since this is not a family show, I will share with you guys what Slick just wrote in the chat. Slick wrote double penetration Batman. <laughs> All right. Anyway, this bit of movie news is Marvel news, and you can consider it what the fuck movie news if you wish. Uh, The Hollywood Reporter is reporting that Paul Giamatti is in talks to play Rhino in Amazing Spider-Man 2. I guarantee you they're going to use the same effects they did with the Hulk. So it doesn't bug me. Ah, Josh Coleman in the Mixler chat. Mil Mascaras Batman. Yes, there you go. Alberto Del Rio as Batman. Yes. Well, no, Alberto Del Rio's dad at that point. Yes, Mil Mascaras Batman. Just a he'd have no he'd have no upper part for his costume, and he'd have the bat symbol shaved into his chest hair, and he'd have a black lucha mask with little ears like Rey Mysterio's wings or like Sin Cara, and he would wear a cape like Nacho Libre that's black but it's shiny. And it catches light really nice. And he was also going to have boots with little frills on them. <laughs> I really just took that to a whole other level, but fuck it. It's 1.30 in the morning. What do you want from me? Anyway, there you go. Mil Mascaras Batman. Book it. So, Paul Giamatti, like I said, I don't, I don't feel bad. Honestly, Paul Giamatti's the kind of guy that I would have thought would have made a pretty good vulture. Not super old, but a good enough actor that can really flesh out the character. Some people are saying he'd make a good Dr. Octopus, which honestly, um, the guys from be uh, behind the counter on the GFQ network said that too, that he'd make a good Dr. Octopus. They're the, the third set of people that have said that to me. It's true. I think Paul Giamatti would make an, a good Dr. Octopus in this new Spider-Man universe, but we'll see what they do with Rhino. Obviously he will join Jamie Foxx. Who's going to be electro Dane DeHaan. Who's going to be, Harry Osborn, uh, Shailene Woodley, who's going to be Mary Jane, Emma Stone as uh, Gwen Stacy, and of course, Andrew Garfield and his amazing hair as Spider-Man. You guys will be pumped to know that no more 3D Star Wars movies are going to be coming out. Those 3D re-releases of the prequel trilogy, not happening. Instead, Lucasfilm will now aim to focus on the upcoming Episode 7, and it's not even Lucasfilm at this point, it's Disney. So, Deadline, you guys fucked up. Speaking of the Deadline site, they put out an article talking about a brand new Barbarella TV series written by Skyfall writers Neil Purvis and Robert Wade. Of course, those guys have co-written the last five James Bond films. I'm interested to see what they do with a Barbarella TV show because I honestly think that Barbarella was a guilty pleasure growing up. I think that was... The equivalent of softcore pornography. I remember when they used to give it late night on TBS and they had her in the weird orgasmatron machine that looked like a giant piano. And I was like, holy shit, she's naked under there. You know, I'm like eight, nine years old and I'm watching this movie hoping that nobody would notice that there was tons of sexual elements in there, including that blind angel that Jane Fonda practically raped. So, you know, I said to myself, this was, this was the greatest thing ever. Now that I'm older and, I watch, and I've seen Barbarella a couple of times, usually on TNT, I'm like, wow, this movie's campy as hell. It's not on par with my favorite movie, that being Flash Gordon, but it's, it's close enough. It's definitely close enough on the, on the list of, of, of campy films. 
In some other small screen news, I got to talk about the Dracula TV show, which I actually had no idea that they actually casted Dracula already. Jonathan Reese Myers is going to be playing Dracula, and uh, Jessica DeGuy is going to be playing Mina. They don't know. It's going to be airing on NBC. They also cast uh, for Renfield and for Lucy, uh, Nanzo Ananzi from Game of Thrones, and Katie McGrath from Merlin. Uh, obviously, Nanzo Ananzi is going to be playing Renfield. And Katie McGrath is going to be playing Lucy. So basically the way it works is that Dracula is going to have an alter ego named Alan Grayson. And um, it's going to be kind of just a modern take on the Dracula mythology. It's on NBC, so don't expect any any crazy shit like the Vampire Diaries or Supernatural where there's blood and guts. Um... <laughs> no, Slick, not related to Richard Grayson, a.k.a. Dick Grayson. No... But yeah, so we're going to get Dracula on the small screen. <sighs> NBC, I don't think, is the network that's suited for that type of thing. Honestly, I'd like to see a, a TV, a television-based a television based Dracula series done maybe on Showtime or Stars or HBO, even FX. Thanks, Slick. Those are networks that I think would really embrace the story a little better. You could take a little bit more liberties. Obviously, you know, there's 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 a bit of... There's sexuality to Dracula's story, you know, the, the the Brides of Dracula, all that stuff. I mean, obviously, the measuring stick for me is Gary Oldman as Dracula in that film. But if you're going to go with a more modern approach, you, you're going to have you're going to want to have more mature themes. So I don't think in that respect, you're going to be able to use NBC to its fullest for this type of show. Like I said, basic cable or premium channels would have benefited, but I see this starting off kind of hot on NBC and then tapering off if they don't really push the envelope. That's one thing I got to commend Vampire Diaries on the CW and Supernatural for doing. You know, they, they they have the right amount of gore, the right amount of camp, and it works. Me personally, I don't watch the Vampire Diaries, but it's highly endorsed by our very own Slick, and my wife also enjoys it. I, I've been meaning to sit down and watch it on Netflix, same thing with Supernatural, but I've been trying to catch up on so many other shows that are on Netflix that I wanted to see that I'll get to it eventually and I'll see what the big fuss is about. The other uh, what the fuck movie news for this week, get this. Vulture's reporting that Kenneth Branagh is in talks with Disney to direct a live action version of Cinderella. Why? I don't know. As of right now, it's rumored that Kate Blanchett is attached to play the Wicked Stepmother. The production company is currently looking for a new actress to play Cinderella. So there you have it. We got a live action interpretation of Snow White. Well, actually two interpretations of Snow White. Now we're going to get a live action interpretation of Cinderella. Will it succeed? Who knows? I watched Snow White and the Huntsman. It wasn't that great. It wasn't complete dog shit. But I also think that Kristen Stewart has less facial expressions than Grumpy Cat. But that's just me. Anyway, let's close out the movie news with uh, the entertainment news. Excuse me. I got to get used to that with uh, some plot details for Fast and Furious 6 slated to drop in theaters May 24th. They're going to release some footage during a TV spot during this weekend's Super Bowl. So they actually released the plot synopsis. I wanted to share it with you guys. Obviously, Vin Diesel, Paul Walker and The Rock return joining, of course, Jordana Brewster, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson, Soon Kang, Gail Godot, uh, Ludacris, and Elsa Pataki. Also added, 
uh, Luke Evans and Gina Carano. Anyway, so basically we all know how it ended. Dom, Brian ran off with the $100 million. They scattered across the globe, but obviously they couldn't go home. They were always on the run, and their lives were, for all intents and purposes, incomplete. So, turns out that The Rock's character, Hobbs, is tracking an organization of mercenary drivers that are doing heists across 12 countries. Their mastermind, portrayed by Luke Evans, is aided by a ruthless second-in-command, revealed to be Michelle Rodriguez's uh, character, Letty, who we all thought was dead. So, there you have it. Now, obviously, the only way to stop the criminal outfit is to outmatch them at the street level. So Hobbs, of course, asked Dom to assemble his elite team in London. Payment, full pardons for all of them so they can return home and make their families home again. So there you have it. Nice little uh, interesting concept to bring everything full circle. I honestly think it works. Um, I'm sure it's going to make boatloads of cash. I'm sure we're going to get ourselves a nice little fight scene with Gina Carano and Michelle Rodriguez. If memory serves me right, Gina Carano's actually partnered with The Rock. So I'm sure we're going to get a little girl-on-girl violence. Um, who knows? But it, it's nice that the entire cast was kept together so well, especially all the way to a sixth installment. Um, who knows? I, I think, like I said, it's going to make a, a ton of money, and I'm sure the Super Bowl spot is going to do very, very well. This joins, obviously, the Iron Man Super Bowl spot that's coming and um, a couple of other movies that I'm sure are going to get plenty of airtime during the Super Bowl. I'll be watching it very closely, and we'll be discussing the uh, commercials and all that stuff next week. Ah, let me answer Waffles' question. Waffles, like, are they going to try and explain Tokyo Drift? Tokyo Drift actually takes place after all of this. I know it's supposed to be Fast and Furious 3, but Tokyo Drift is supposed to take place after. That's why Soon Kang's character Han is still alive, which if you've seen Tokyo Drift, he dies. So in, in the numeric system, it's like Street Fighter. Street Fighter 4 comes before Street Fighter 3. Tokyo Drift comes after Fast Furious 5 and Fast and Furious 6. So there you have it. <laughs> I hope that answers, that answers your questions. All right. With that said, we've actually come to the end of the road. So... Let's get the hell out of here. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 171 for Thursday, January 31st, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR or would like to advertise with us, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If your fingers are broken or you just hate using computers, you can also hit up our feedback line. 3478150687 that's 3478150mtr you don't want your message played on air please make sure to specify that in the voicemail as usual you can find us on social media on twitter at mytakeradio you can also become a fan on facebook look for us on myspace ask us questions on formspring add us to your circle on google plus and if you want the complete mytakeradio experience make sure to pick up our official app available for Android and iOS devices. For Android, you can pick it up in the Amazon Marketplace. And for iOS devices, you can pick it up at iTunes for $1.99. Gives you access to 96K stereo episodes of MTR, mobile wallpapers, plus access to our app-exclusive shows, MTR Beyond the Mic, 
and MTR behind the mic, which I actually posted some new interviews that are now available to the public. Uh, Nick Craig from Radar Gaming joined me on MTR behind the mic. We also had our interview with Katie Brinks from Nest for MTR beyond the mic and the returning Derek Samuels, his interview with me regarding the upcoming autonomous system aptly named Oton, O-T-O-N, will be live this weekend. All right, guys. Last but not least, you can always listen to MTR on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, uh, BlackBerry Podcasts, Zoom Podcasts. I, th- I think that pretty much covers it. As always, if you're getting the shows from iTunes, please take a couple of minutes and rate the show and write a review. We would really appreciate it. I think that given what we discussed earlier today, I think uh, it would only be fitting that we go out with this song. And the way I see it, it's I'm sure Slick is going to enjoy it, but um, you know what? I'll let you guys see for yourselves. Catch you guys next week. Peace. is no cause for a